Tampopo is one of the greatest love letters to food. It's so funny and magical and romantic, and it's 100% guaranteed. You just will watch it and you have to have noodles. director who named who I butchered, classic Tempopo. The food in each of these movies, oh my god, so good. And here with me is one of my favorite foodies. He's of course part owner of Marshall's Hot, Hot Sauce and of course the host of the amazing BHUS and also who's someone I pretty much annoyed until he finally said yes to do this episode, especially after I saw Little Forest, which he by the way recommended. It is of course the amazing Dirk Marshall. Hey, how's it going? Hello, Lindsay. Thanks for having me back. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I think you suggested this double or something with Little Forest, like yeah. when we first kind of met, like you just ran down a whole bunch of movies and I didn't know what Little Forest even was. And then I sort of came back to it, looked it up, decided to give it a go. And when I saw it, I went, oh man, Dirk, this movie's amazing. <laughs> I didn't watch this sooner. Yeah, it's not a movie like people would associate me with if they listen to VHS a lot. I think the large breadth of movies that I talk about would be like things called cult movies or, you know, oddities or even weird ninja movies from Godfrey Ho. I was going to say, there's no Godfrey Ho magic ninjas and there's no uh, time traveling cyborg in in either of these movies. Though Tampopo, a time traveling cyborg would have actually fit in that movie. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't caught me off guard at all. But no. Little Forest was a it's a movie that I came across and it's and we'll get to all the reasons why it's it's so amazing, but it just blew me away. And during the um the initial lockdowns, the pandemic, the time when we were all so isolated and uncertain of things, I did a an episode of, of VHS with my wife, who is the other half of Marshall's Hot Sauce, like you mentioned, and it just was the feel-good episode that people, that listeners needed at the time. And I continually hear feedback of people that, like, listened to it. They were alone. They felt so good. You know, watching the movie felt so cozy and lovely. And because of the concepts and ideas in the film, and it's just so beautiful and low stakes and cozy. And, you know, people, like, cried. And I've heard that from a number of people. And I was just like, that. thank you for attributing that to my podcast talking about the movie, but it's really about the strength of the movie itself. And so um, it's just something I was championing. And so the opportunity of talking to you initially, I was like, what about this for a double feature or this? And, and, you know, Little Forest was definitely one of those that was, I was like, I I hope, I hope we get to talk about it at some point, because if it gets more eyes on this movie, that's always a good thing. 
no this this is a movie that is a definite discovery this year uh before we really get into the meat of actually didn't actually realize there was no meat in little forest until yeah. uh, someone pointed <laughs> it out i was like holy shit there's no no she's no she's not eating meat what season of vhs are you up to now because it is i haven't felt you to be this energetic about a full season in a while I, but you've just been on, on all not that you haven't been good but this one i feel that you've just gone yeah because you've got more things to play around with it's not just the sort of the episodes with the interviews but those interviews have been absolutely in another gear it seems especially with yeah, this the crusader and your one minute uh magic <laughs> movie episode yeah. yeah thank you for noticing i I, you know, I really enjoyed this process, the opportunities of talking to you um, and like Ryan from New World. And like, I love meeting other podcasters. I love, you know, interviewing complete strangers about their jobs and coming up with other ways to have episodes in the podcast. But after a while, it can either, you know, start to become like, okay, what do I got to do this next week? Or I just kind of want to do this thing. And the randomness can kind of like be fun for exploration, but like, I hadn't really gelled again like it did. If you go back to my first season, I'm extremely proud of like the first eight episodes. Very concise on the concept I wanted to do. Wonderful, wonderful guests. Um, one of which I believe is is a Tampopo episode. And um, this season, it just lucked out that like Joe the janitor, um, Arthur Trace the magician, uh, Scotty Landis the screenwriter. I mean, he's yes. got a movie coming out this week. Uh, yeah. The um, that's just amazing that these people were up for the opportunity of sharing their story. The movies we were talking about were super fun. And um, and the other people I have lined up for the season, same thing. So it's just like I just get super excited about every um, episode. It ends like we all feel good at the end of the recording, which is important to me. And um, yeah, season 12 is, is just going off. So I'm very excited about it. No, I'm so excited. I only say that because I know we have talked about the process of your podcast. So I do hear a little bit behind the scenes sometimes. And I know that it can be difficult. And now because you have met a whole bunch of other podcasts, like say Ryan and from the New World and Matt uh, from Film Beast and also Carmelita, you kind of can have standbys of, um, oh, I can also talk to these people as well. So I think you're feeling a little bit more relaxed with your podcasting than you have for a while. And it's a really great thing to listen to. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's what I want. I want people to be like, I think uh, Matt Bledsoe said that he's like, I can put it on and just go, ah, and it's like, yeah, that's what yeah. I want. Like, I, yeah, exactly. I want people to be entertained, hopefully learn something about something that they didn't know before. And then, um, and hopefully come back for the next guest and their stories and things that they share. You know, that's the, that's the goal. And um, so far, so good on season 12. Yes, no, I was so excited about the uh, Malay episode and your magician episode that I completely forgot that you also did a Barton Fink, which was amazing, <laughs> which, you know, because it's Barton Fink. No, this has been an absolute thing. I'm, yeah, I'm loving the season. It's absolutely fantastic. And now I have to go back and listen to the Little Forest and the Tempopo episodes. Um, yeah, we we actually yeah. did two Tempopo because I did one. It's the first movie we did two episodes on. Uh, one episode focusing on the noodles, and I had a noodle maker on, and the Ooh. other episode is focusing on the broth, and I had a chef that had a ramen noodle shop at the time. So two entirely different conversations that people can check out after this conversation, um, which will also be entirely different than those two. So it's Exactly. Because I know nothing about the broth or the noodles, but I just love watching this movie of eating. I just love watching people eat noodles. I've discovered that is my one of my favorite things to do, as well as it, eat noodles. I mean, I yeah. love ramen with a blind passion. 
So yeah, um, I'm, an, I'm a noodle person too. Yeah. 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 And with that, we might as well get into this because I'm itching to talk about, especially Little Forest first. Yes. Uh, as I as I like to imagine, the curtains are opening. And Dirk, what is going to be your first trailer for Little Forest? I just figure the best way to open something is kind of with a similar vibe. I didn't want to go against the grain and be like, it's an Eric Roberts cyborg rock climbing movie. Like, it's like, you know, like people... Finding peace within the rock, I think. Would <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with Midnight Diner from 2019. I saw the trailer for this and I am already tracking this movie down. The question, is this a remake of a Japanese movie from 2014 or is it a completely different, um, its own thing? Is there a murder believe... mystery involved in this one? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I think it's based off of a TV series. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Could be, I could be wrong. Um, I have looked up a bunch of things on a bunch of different movies in the past couple of days. So don't quote me on that, but I do know it takes place in a restaurant in Shanghai where patrons are enjoying delicious dishes prepared at the chef's table and stories as well. Um, and I have noticed people online searching to see if this restaurant was real, which is it's not it's not a real place. And then they wanted to know if the stories were true. And I was like, what's happening? Did people just first see a movie and be like, oh, my gosh, like. No, when you type something into Google and go, is something something real? And you're going, um, this is Lord of the Rings. What? <laughs> is, yeah. Or is yeah, New Zealand a real place? Oh my God, yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> spoiler for the episode after this, Lord of the Rings. Um, but because I, I recorded it the first. Um, oh, <laughs> it's amazing what you'll find. People will ask. Will ask Google. It's like, you know, these questions will come up again. People will know someone asked this. Um, mm. But no, the trailer looks absolutely gorgeous. It's just sounds of people of of cooking, and you can kind of it's like little forest and Tempopa where you can almost smell the food coming off yeah. the screen. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I love restaurants. I love food. Uh, I love going to chefs' tables. That's like my favorite spot if we're able to go to a place is to be right there like either near the pass where the food's coming out where you kind of get a taste of the kitchen culture or just doing something like this where it's clearly a fixed menu type situation and putting the little dishes in front of you with all this intent and you know make this beautiful thing i love it and um and then there's just these wonderful stories going on and you and i end up talking about food a lot of times on these podcasts we after do. we record which i absolutely love so i was like excited about it. i was like Okay, we're gonna get to talk about these movies, but I hope we're gonna talk about some food as well. So oh, we uh, we are like that's what it was excited me as well. It's just like oh, finally me and Dirk actually had to because we do we do talk a lot about food when we're not recording. <laughs> um, no. so finally we get to put those two together, um, which I'm really looking forward to. No, I am absolutely looking forward to seeing and also whatever that Japanese one is about a chef who solves murder. So I am all about whatever is happening with that. So yeah, for my first trailer, I. Okay, I'm this 
may seem weird, but I think it kind of does relate to Little Forest in terms of finding your home, but also how the food is used, which I will argue is much like a soundtrack. So I'm going to go for Stephen Freer's High Fidelity 2001. Rob Gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following. I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable. But when it comes to dating... Hi. Hi. Is this Penny Hardwood? Hi, Caroline. He's still searching. Are you in or out, Rob? I'm sorry? Are you in or out, Rob? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman. What's your name? Laura! Now his search may have ended, <laughs> but his problems just started. And I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What Ian guy? You've got to be kidding me. The night Touchstone Pictures presents... How's Ian? He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something. The movie where everyone else was already obsessed with John Cusack, and then I watched this movie, and then thus became obsessed with, with John <laughs> Cusack. It's a really easy movie to watch uh, because you do get the record store culture. The um, soundtrack is amazing. Um, just all the songs in it kind of mean something. The kind of the conversation of how you sort. I mean, it's kind of relatable because it's that nerd culture of how you sort out your collections. I don't know. It's it does have a even though it's like set in Chicago and it's much more broad than Little Forest is. I thought it would actually be a nice tee up. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I uh, I remember when this movie came out and like it was a crazy one two punch because Cusack was kind of out and yeah. then this and Gross Point Blank. Yes, out of nowhere, like seeing him not only back in the theater but like firing on brand new like actor cylinders. It yeah. felt like. Just, he just launched himself straight into like stardom again. It was crazy, and then it he was just was. everything. I was just like, "What a comeback!" Like out of nowhere, just like bam, bam. Like as it's awesome. That's a that's a really great pick, and I I can see the connective tissue. You're really good at this kind of stuff. I'm always more on the nose, but you have a great way of finding these uh these these trailers and tie-ins. Yeah, I mean, this isn't. Uh, I know a lot of people have seen this movie, so this isn't exactly a recommendation. But to watch it again, um, but I do like how fallible, but yeah, John Cusack is amazing in this. Like he's playing kind of like an awful human being in a lot of ways um, who has to come to terms with this horribleness. <laughs> but it is, um, especially the way he treats people, especially the way he sort of connects with the, his art, which in this is music. But it, yeah, it's it's a great, great movie. Um, then thank you. Uh, what is going to be your second trailer? Okay, my second trailer is Chungking Express from 1994. On the streets of Hong Kong, a mysterious woman, a young cop, and an innocent dreamer are about to meet, where mystery and romance collide. Max Films and Rolling Thunder Pictures present Wong Kar Wai's Chung King Express. Time Magazine calls it a delicious romance. A knockout, terrifically stylish, raves the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, good old Wong Kar Wai. It's a romantic crime comedy drama, of course, written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, who's amazing. We all know that. 
Uh, it's two stories told in sequence, each about a lovesick Hong Kong policeman. Um, it's just, I love this movie. I've loved this movie for a long time. Um, the cast is amazing. Valerie Chow is uh, awesome in it. Uh, Faye Wong is like unforgettable. Like if you, if I mean, yeah. talk about Pixie Dream Girls working at the snack bar. She is uh, hypnotic. These are Pixie Dream Girls you actually want to be. Like even yeah, though yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a hater of Pixie Dream Girls, but I never kind of want to be them. Chunking Express. No, I want to be, I want to be Faye Wong. Like that is who oh, I want to yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, I just mean she's got the pixie haircut. She, yes. I mean, she, if you picture a pixie, it's like, yeah. oh, it's her. She's yeah. fascinating to watch on screen. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know anymore for these early '90s movies, like well, '94. Um, if people are like still watching and celebrating them, but Chunking Express rules. If anyone hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while, I mean, yeah, one car. I haven't seen it for a while. I just got a Blu-ray de- delivered like a couple of days ago, so I'm very excited to yes. rewatch this. So it was such a coincidence when I said, "Oh, you're doing Express! Yay, Chunking Express!" Um, this is so amazing. Soundtrack rules too. Oh, the soundtrack is amazing. Um, I mean, Wong Kai Wai, I think is. I know we got a big like Criterion release. Um, but I think he's a director because a lot of Hong Kong movies are suddenly a little harder to get. He, I think he is kind of disappearing, but I think he's one of those directors, even though he is lauded as kind of one of the greats. Um, Happy Together, Mood for Love, um, Chunking Express, all these movies are so it's so amazing. And both you, both these trailers, you have a Tony Leung in them. Different. I also <laughs> them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Like I saw the name and went, oh wait, it's not that Tony. Chunking Express has has my Tony with the cheekbones, but um, and he's in all three movies I mentioned. But no, it's it's haven't seen it for a while, but it is such a good movie. It was one of it was actually my first one Kai Wai, so I'm excited to go back to it and actually see it. Hopefully on a better better um, tra- uh, trends a uh, uh, better Blu-ray than I when I first watched it. Yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating first one Kai Wai too, because yeah. I was just love. Um, but like, yeah. Oh, that's really good. I think, I think it was on VHS. So this, yeah. Then time oh, I saw, sure. yeah. And then yeah. when I finally watched Move for Love, which was actually on a big screen, I was like, oh, okay. Now I get Wong Kar Wai. Yeah, that movie. If anyone doesn't know Wong Kar Wai, if you just show them that, they're like, okay, I get it. I yeah. got it. It's got it's everything. Jenny Leung, Maggie Chung, be the two most beautiful people on the planet, sewn into their clothing, just looking beautiful. And all this, that's not even getting to the subtext of what's happening in that movie, but yeah. Oh, fantastic. Oh. What's your second trailer? My second trailer, I am going to go for a comfort movie that I kind of started watching, another comfort movie actually, but I am going to go for Julie and Julia, Nora Ephron, 2009. I'm Julia Child. Bon appétit. Before she changed the world, Julia Child was just an American living in France. Shouldn't I find something to do? What is it that you really like to do? Eat. And we are so good at it. Look at you. Now, they're growing in front of you. But what does Julia Child have to do with me, lowly cubicle worker Julie Powell? So, how's your job, Julie? Are you the person to speak to about my insurance form? You can speak to me. Do you have any power? No. I have thoughts. I'm not a blog about cooking. I'm not a real cook like Julia Child. Julia Child wasn't always Julia Child. Why don't I go to cooking school? Bonjour! 
the Julie slash Julia Project. I cook my way through Julia Child's cookbook. 365 days, 524 recipes. I am risking my well-being for a deranged assignment. This is a half a half biopic on Julia Childs, the famous great Julia Childs, uh, and also a young woman, Julie, who starts a blog back in the day when blogs were more of a thing, trying to cook every single recipe in uh, Joy of French Cooking, I think. And it's a little uneven. I will say even as much as I love Amy Adams and Chris Messina, I think this is Meryl Streep's and Stanley Tucci's movie, Being in France, Cooking Food, Being Adorable and that is kind of the part of the movie that works it's just got such a sense because it is set in france and julia child discovering the fact that she loves french cooking and before she has her tv show but um i love uh stanley tucci and uh meryl streep whenever they're in a movie i'm it's like become obsessed much like devil west prada but it is it is it actually really gorgeous simple sweet it's nora efron so it's got a little bit of um a, a very specific flavor to it that I really, really love, even though I do think the movie on a whole is slightly uneven. The food looks really good. Yeah, I agree. And it's a Stanley Tucci movie that's not Big Night. So neither of exactly. us Big Night yet. Yes. Yet. Listeners, you got to keep listening. But uh, so far, neither of us have chosen it. And who doesn't love Stanley Tucci? I mean... He's he's great. And actually, all the acting in this movie, I think, is awesome. I think it's fair to say there's like an uneven bit to it, but um, but very watchable. Yeah, it's beautiful. Only because there has to be some sort of manufactured drama and it's not going to be between Meryl and Stanley, who just were a happy couple. They have to kind of but they do have to manufacture some drama in it. Mm-hmm. But um, that was that's my only nitpick. But it's such enjoyable to watch, especially Amy Adams crying because she can't get the brisk quite right and she doesn't understand how julie is doing it uh which is very relatable <laughs> which yeah and with that we're going to be getting into a sublime beautiful amazing calming i mean from the first scene of little forest it's a beautiful day When you see her digging lettuce up and, and snow, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to pack up my life, move to a mountain town in South Korea and live off cabbage in the snow for the rest of my life. I, I am ready to become a monk, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't remember when I first saw it. I know that I saw it on Amazon Prime. I know that it was streaming at one point. That's how I tracked it down. And I started it. And it's kind of like when I saw, um, is it Thunder Road, the Jim Cummings movie? Oh, yes. Um, Yeah. I start something and I'm not prepared for what it is. Like I I have a preconceived notion of what something is. And that opening scene of Thunder Road, I sat down on the floor. Like I was folding laundry, kind of pacing around. I just put something on. I sat down and gave myself 100% into that film. Same thing with Little Forest. I Hmm. started it. And I, I leaned closer to the screen. Like I, it, I felt like time slowed 
and I just gave into whatever pace this movie was going to unravel at. And it's not a long movie, so people, it's not a big time ask. But, um, and then just the uh, the cinematography by uh, Seung Hoon Lee is gorgeous, and I can't oh. find anything else this person did, which is a bummer because. So, I mean, all of this, it's just every single scene. I put on the, I told you that I got the DVD. I put it on just to see if it had English subtitles. And I ended up watching the whole movie. Because I was just like, oh yeah. Because I sort of watched it. We had to reschedule. And I just wanted to watch a little bit of it. And then I just ended up watching the whole thing again. Like, it's yeah. it's just like this coming sort of process. Uh, this movie stars um, Kim Tyree, who most people know from uh, Park uh, Chan-wook's amazing uh, Handmaiden who mm -hmm. she is amazing in and she is amazing in this and she has i think a slightly harder job, job in this because she is the movie she doesn't have a co-host that she can kind of rely on a little bit with um handmaiden she's mm -hmm. on screen all the time she has to do these very small facial expressions because none of her emotions are big emotions that she she feels them deeply um mm -hmm. because this is a girl who at the moment has been abandoned by her mother who's not coping in soul and has come back dead of winter she's run away from Seoul when everything's not working to be at home where her mother is still not there so she kind of has to fend for herself and it is based on a Japanese manga which is not translated into English and now I'm upset um which is oh, a slice of blood yeah I was ask you because I know it's by Daisuku Igarashi who has the and... uh, public yeah which there is other translations of her books and they look great but I want Little Forest <laughs> I want Little Forest too. I couldn't yeah. find it. I've been to a lot of stores. My daughter's very into manga right now. And so I spend a lot of time, any trip we go, I'm like looking up shops, places I can go to find books and toys and trinkets and candy. Mm. And uh, and so I, I always look for Little Forest. And then I'm, I'm like, ah, dang it. And then I ask people and they're like, no, we don't have it. I've never even seen it. I know that it exists, but it's just not something that's even stocked here. So I'm like, oh, I wanted yeah. to know if you could get it in English, but I guess not. No, I, I looked. I could not find an English copy. Uh, and, but yeah, so she's kind of just learning to, but she's learned everything she eats most. I think there's a few times she cheats, but it's mostly things that she can grow herself. Uh, mm. And I didn't even notice that she wasn't even eating meat until someone pointed it out. They're like, oh, I love this movie. And I bought like a vegan Korean cookbook after it. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, oh wait. yeah she's oh she's not eating meat i mean yeah she has a hen at one stage so she's eating eggs so it's not completely vegan but yeah but she her performance is so great because it is this kind of this girl kind of reconnecting with her home reconnecting the, with the memory of her mother and kind of doing the same traditions her mother would do and the same recipes her mother would make and watching her make food and eat food is the most engrossing thing about this movie i don't know how else to describe it it's not quite food porn exactly um no. but it's something else yeah it's one of the great things i think about little forest at least as far as the film being that we haven't read the book is that there's no fight there's no pulling away from somebody there's no angry thing there's in movies there's always a scene where you're just like oh this is the part where they get mad at each other and then it's gross or whatever that does not happen in this movie that's not what this movie's about that's not the nope. story it's trying to tell there's no tension there's no conflict it's a story of somebody reconnecting to something through food and yeah. it's like so infectious and so like I mean, I get goosebumps at parts. I get a little choked up at certain parts. 
but it's not in an emotionally manipulative way. It's in a very like, like life way. And I usually don't like movies that use title cards to show the passing of time. I find it like distracting and it makes my brain go movie, movie. And, yes. uh, and in this, it's such a beautiful way to break it up by seasons. It's just so. And you just see the weather and the type of food she's eating. That's all that changes. I love it so much. And the growing of the dog. <laughs> he's he's yes. no longer a puppy. That's the thing. Bye, no time has passed by the size of the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was one fight, and that's when um, Hey Hey Soon, oh, uh, who's the, uh, has a fight with her best friend over mm. something very silly. Like she even says it was over nothing um, because she said the wrong thing in yeah. a moment to her friend, and then two seconds later she makes some creme brulee, gives it to her, and then they're friends again. Which, to be yeah. fair, if someone gave me, I was angry with creme brulee, I'd probably forgive them as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. I showed that one to my daughter today, where. They're, the mother and daughter are sitting and she goes, creme brulee. And mm. then the little girl goes like, creme brulee. And then they laugh because they're saying these French words. And then the good little girl goes, creme brulee. And then my yes. daughter started laughing so hard and she started doing it too. And I was like, I love this. This is amazing. It is. It's just about those little moments. It's whenever she remembers her mother, you're right. It's not about a fight. It's lessons she learned from her, how her mother connected to her making the food. Um, and also the fact that her mother would lie to her saying, oh, I created this dish. I yeah. call it creme brulee. And also when she's making the, um, oh, I can never remember the name. It's a Japanese um, pancake or a Japanese omelet pancake thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And very yummy. I eat them all the time. Um, you should have seen me when, I, oh God, you should have seen me when I was in Japan. Like just Godzilla food <laughs> monster. Uh, 2018. Uh, last time I did a proper overseas trip and uh, I was Godzilla with the food. I was just like, give me, give me everything. Give me your green bean ice cream. Give me your, um, yeah, give me your uh, pancakes. Um, and then she sort of sees, like, oh, I don't want to eat that. And then she does eat it. It's, a, it's this magic and how the tree bark kind of moves on the dish. And then that moment when you realized your mother told you a lie when you're an adult, it captures it so perfectly. When she sees the yeah, yeah. Away this dish, she's like, hang on a second, which I happened with my mother. My mother had this amazing recipe with chocolate chip cookies. They're amazing. I was like 19 when I realized it was the recipe on the back of a um, New Zealand branded um, so, uh, uh, flour, um, soda, soda flour um, recipe on the back. I was so upset. I was like, oh my God, these chocolate cookies, which I thought were a family recipe, uh, just the recipe on the back of a, of a, of a flour packet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The, I think it's called Toboki is the, uh, is the yes. pancake. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the, what they grate on top is bonito, which is mm. like a it's like a tuna that's dried, smoked, and fermented, and then it's grated in these little sheets that yes. fall onto the hot pancake and a sort of dance. And it's yes. it's really awesome the way that they capture it. Like I like everything in the movie. It's beautifully shot, and I I love that that sequence. My mouth's watering right now. Thank you. I know. I've I've eaten like a massive meatball sub. And I'm my mouth is worrying from imagining this. But no, the sound design is really great in it because you can almost hear the crackle of, of the dancing yes. um thing. Yeah. And also when she's making the bean cake, sort of at the beginning, yeah. she's having her two friends over for the sort of for the first time, I guess. And she's cooking for them. And you can kind of hear the process of her mushing things and how a how the red beans sound like when they boil. It's it's very delicate. It's 
Um, but it's all part of the flavor of the movie. So you kind of have to, this is things I noticed on the second watch, which I'm glad I, I did because I wouldn't have noticed the sound design as much, but it's all there. Yeah. I, I love it. I love also the beginning of the movie where it just like you get the winter title card and it shows her and then her stomach grumbles. Like you yes. hear the grumble and it's like, oh, that's this movie is going to fill you up. So if you're hungry, like you're going to be three times as hungry by the time this movie ends. I also Cabbages love when she never looks so good, especially that first thing. And she eats the soup and then she's just lying back down by the fire and everything's content. I'm like, oh, man, that looks good. Yeah. And then she makes the. uh Sujibi, which is the dough soup, which is like <gasps> torn dough. Like normally noodles are cut, but this is hand torn. Yes. And I looked it up and it's like just soy sauce, vegetables, traditionally like that's basically it. And so that's what she makes. And there's like sometimes dashi or kombu in there, mm. but it's just super simple. And like seeing her just basically pull stuff out of the ground and yeah. just make fruit, it's like, Oh yeah, you can do that. There's no yeah. boxes or cans. Like it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I had pizza. Yes. Like... Yeah. yeah, I got it. I got something out of a box. Like it was in a paper bag, and I pulled it out and 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 I ate it. Um, but yeah, that dough soup is amazing because she sort of says the line: the dough has to sit before for two hours um, before you can use it. Because she's just made some really simple dough, and she goes out in in the snow, and she goes dough soup is at best when you're freezing like it yeah. kind of the food is always contextualized with the mood um mm -hmm. like when i think it's later on in the movie when um her and her friend are eating the spicy soup yeah and it's too hot and like he thinks kogaiko but they're crying it's like no they're just eating really spicy food <laughs> yeah i love that i love that so much um actually i think you know what i did i think the toboki is the rice cakes, the spicy dish that you're uh, talking about. Yes. I know in Japan, it's the okonaki, I think is the, is the, is the um, pancake. Yes. But, um, but I was so excited to talk about the toboki. That's why it's on my brain. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because that dish is one of my favorite dishes in Korean cuisine. I love the rice cakes. I'm a Westerner, so I like to get it without the fish cake mixed in there. Yeah. But if I can get just the rice cake and then it's just the gochujang, the gochugaru, it's like spicy and there's like a little bit of tartness and sweetness to it, but super subtle and like so hot. And in fact, when they're like, Phew. I was like, oh yeah, that's what I want more than anything. I want that dish. So yeah. Much. Oh, I'm definitely more Japanese, but I am definitely gravitating to the, um, the South Korean. Like I love a good fish oil in a South Korean dish. Like it's so unusual oh, yeah. and, and just the, you can put kimchi on everything and these little bites of everything. So I am definitely, yeah, there's some amazing food. And yeah, I was looking at that dough soup going, can I make that? Because I think I'm not going to try and make dough soup because that looks amazing as long as I don't have to cut. But I could just tear off the dough and just throw it in. This is going to be amazing. And traditionally such a subtle, I mean, a simple dough that it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I looked up recipes. Flour and water. Mm. And it's like, nope, no problem. Like I, you could do this very little uh, error here because you're tearing things. So it's not even like it has to look pretty, you know? Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I also wanted to mention, because I'm going to talk more about food, but the uh, the music that's used in the film is very light and pretty and poppy. And it's from a band called Flower Flower. And they recorded a new song for every season for the film, which I think oh, is really Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's I didn't realize that. It has its own flavor, which I think is... It's really fun as you as you transition through um, 
also the the motif of this film is something that I think really connected to people during the pandemic a lot because it's the idea of like loss is not a deficit as much as it's an invitation to return. Yes. So someone being away isn't like they're gone. It's like they're welcome to come back at any point. And this, when we were so far apart from each other, it was a very an emotional thing. But now I think you know, as we've reconnected with people, hopefully, um, it's a it's just a very light idea that I think is really wonderful. Like it's you know the invitation yeah. to return. Yeah, it is. Because I know I remember watching the movie yesterday, which I know when it came out in two thousand nineteen, it got completely bagged on. I remember watching it in 2020 when we couldn't go outside, when we couldn't we we couldn't um, spend much time outside. You couldn't can, uh, be together with your friends and family, and to watch people drink beer outside at a gig was yeah. like the, even even though there are so many plot holes in that movie, I didn't care. I'm like, nope. Lily James is drinking beer. She's outside. She's hanging with people, and she's listening to people, someone play music outside. I want that. That is just makes me happy right now, and yeah. I think. Um, Little Forest has that same thing because it is absence is the invitation to return. That um, Yusun knows that it's because it, I love the moments you see her in Seoul where she's physically rejecting the food. She can't eat it. Like everything's, as you were saying, everything's boxed up and everything's in plastic. And yeah. it's how I usually live my life. Um, and so I've got to remember, no, you can cook, Lindsay. Like, just actually get ingredients and cook, and you usually feel better about yourself. Um, just sometimes I forget. And to sort of watch her come back, and then the first thing she does is digging a hole in the ground like a little rabbit getting the cabbage mm -hmm. out. It's She's come home, and she feels a lot more comfortable, even though you could tell when she was just about to leave high school, she couldn't wait to get out of there because she felt like she was missing out on something. But it was just the appreciation of, oh, this is home. This is comfort. I can be with my memory of my mother, even though she's not here. And when she's ready to come back, she'll come back. The house is still here. Yeah. Yeah. I I just love also this the, the, the spirit of this movie, the idea that you can reconnect, like you said, to the mom through food. Like food is memory and food. It can be an invitation to share something in a moment. Um, a lot of times when we go to restaurants, we take pictures of food. So that when my wife and I later on were like, hey, remember when we were here at this place in this time in our life? It's like it's about having that food in that moment, but it's also just about where we've been as time continues to march onward. Yeah, um, it really does. I mean, that's why I love one of my favorite things about traveling is is experiencing like I love to go to like a different supermarket in a different country. Yes. Like, yeah. How it's laid out, the different colors, what kind of foods that they have. Like when we get into to Popo, how all the fruit is is um, wrapped singly. Like mm. it's like this delicate kind of thing. And going out and just trying the food and being in restaurants with with people who this is their every day and they just are eating and it's still still the same communal experience, even though I don't necessarily speak the language or I'm not familiar with every specific custom, but it's just watching, um, yeah, people just eat and have a good time and just how it's very different, but very similar in each place. And yeah, yeah. you're right. It's about connecting to that moment. And it's very easy to connect to a culture when you eat food. Like you're like, oh, this is, yeah, I mean, I'm in, if I, whenever I eventually go to South Korea, I'm going to go to a market and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to find some dough soup and, I'm going to be in seventh heaven because I'm like, oh, I'm kind of 
I can't be a part of, I'm never going to be a part of that culture, but I can experience it through the food. Yeah. It makes the world smaller and it can make us connect in, in awesome ways. And it's like, you know, movies like the menu are, are great, I guess. But, uh, but it's also like saying like, I don't know. The, the menu is making fun of that specific kind of food. That's the, it's making fun of the pageantry of it is a very like, specific I'm, kind of restaurant more than actually connecting to the food. Yeah. But I was just at a place that was very similar vibes and I won't say what, cause I just said very similar vibes, but, um, <laughs> so but no, so, their... you, so you were wrapped in and uh, made into a massive small then. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they grew all their own wheat and they tilled it, yeah. milled it, made bread. They grew all their own vegetables. For the restaurant. Yeah. They had their own, you know, animals for butchery. Um, and, the cool thing about that is, and there's restaurants like this in Seattle and Portland where it's like within like 50 mile radius, everything for the restaurant comes from in that area. So yeah. it's great to to go to places and have experiences like that. Yes, it can be um, pretentious like in the menu, but I've had wonderful dinners at places where you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is seasoned with foam from the ocean or whatever. Mm. And, uh, and you can have these wonderful experiences. So anyone that's put off by like, something like the menu where it says like, oh, cheeseburgers, the real food of the people and not this other stuff. It's like, it doesn't have to be adversarial. And the thing I think Little Village does so well is just shows like how one person is connecting to food by like growing it, by being in a specific region and by like handling it. Cooking it yeah. is so different. You wash, if you go to a, like go to a farm, it's very cheap to do this. Go to a farmer's market, pick a vegetable or something, bring it home, look up a recipe, wash it wash the soil off of this you know thing that's from the earth and do a very simple application you don't have to make like a, a french tart with some kind of mm. fancy you know truffle sauce just like experience what that vegetable is and you can i mean it, it might blow your mind especially produce that's in season because we as people since the industrialization of food and i won't be on this soapbox for very long but um we got distance from food. We got distance from what ingredients actually are. And our convenience is like pull it from a box from the freezer, grab a can from the whatever that's full of preservatives. So it'll last really long, which is great, but it's totally different than when you have a raw thing and either cook it or prepare it simply and just experience it, which is what she does. And I think that's what really pulls at our heartstrings is when she makes that simple cabbage soup, we're like, I could do that. Yeah. That looks great. Why do yeah. I feel like I have to make like a bacon cheeseburger, which is also good, but, but you know, it doesn't have to be adversarial like that. It can be, both things can be wonderful. And you can, I've definitely had days just in New York, like I was telling you on a trip yes. where we got a greasy slice of pizza for lunch. And then at dinner, we were eating like uni chawan mushi and having like a Korean tasting menu at a restaurant that like, I mean... Started up, we started off with a caviar course that was called hmm. PB and J, which tasted like peanut butter and jelly, but was like, I don't know, fifty dollars worth of caviar in there. So it's just like, you know, you could. It's all different things, but this yeah. movie, I it no, this does. I mean, some of them it did feel a little bit complex when she's leaving things, like when she's making the alcohol or when she's making certain dishes. Where I'm like, um, especially when she's doing like the bean cake and she's like having to get her friend, can, oh, can you mash the beans? And because I've got to paste this rice down to a fine powder and, and all that kind of thing that to me is daunting cooking but you're right it is very much interacting with food in very different ways and doing it yourself even though when i look at that i'm like oh i would forget about the beans and mess up something and it would all just yeah. 
go down quickly down the drain or I'd forget that I'd made that alcohol and then six months later it would be like 90% proof. Yeah, but um, McAlee is, is a weird process, but it's that's the reality. People do make their own like it's fermenting, yeah. 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 And um and it's cool to see, but I my favorite part is when she tastes the kid tastes it because anytime kids taste alcohol in movies, it's like I'm always Ugh. there for it. Like this is hilarious. That's gross. And she's like <laughs> Which yeah, to be fair, there's a certain age when you're like two and beer's the best thing ever, and then you get to eight when it's disgusting, and then you hit fourteen again and you're like, actually no, I might quite like this, this wine thing I'm I'm actually quite tempted by. It's it's a very goes through specific things when you're when you're a kid. Um, and I do like that, that she tastes things differently as she does when she's an adult. Um, and it tastes like home. Uh, because every time I go back to New Zealand, and I didn't even grow up in the South Island where venison is much more prominent than it is, say, in the North Island. Um, every single time I go to the South Island, I've got to eat some venison. I've got to grab a pie that's venison or I'll go to a, we'll eat out. and But it's such a simple thing and it tastes like New Zealand. Yeah. very specifically or having a um is oh, this like a hand pie or what is this oh it's like it's like a it's like a meat pie so it's like pastry and then you've got the meat inside so it's a very british pie it's not like americans who um uh, who have sweeter sweeter pies um yeah, yeah, but yeah. when yeah but when i had a i think it was a kind oh no um pecan pie in new orleans i was blown away i was like oh my god this is what the americans have been obsessing over yeah i get it i get it now <laughs> Yeah, I know about like uh, pasties and like, pasties. Yes, yeah, and pies and like the savory components. So, is this like a like a stew in a in a shell, or is it just meat, or is there like potato and carrot at play here? You can, depending on the pie. Like, you can add carrot and kind of thing. Um, sometimes you'll have a pie that's in a dish with just the pastry on top. The takeaway pie is a stew, cased in pastry, um, and. If you uh, grew up in New Zealand and Australia, it is a staple. In fact, this is what you would eat at three o'clock in the morning after a big night out in New Zealand. You That's would awesome. go to a 7-Eleven, grab the most disgusting cheese and beef pie you could find, and that would kind of <laughs> get you home and so you wouldn't feel so yeah. ill. Um, but those kind of things kind of remind me of home more, just the way also who um, Soon is doing it's those same dishes. The first thing she makes is a cabbage soup, a dough soup. It's the things that she remembers her mother making her in winter, which we all do when we say go back home or that connect us to, to home. Like there's a dish, um, because I was a fussy kid, my mother used to make, it's called a mince dish. It was essentially like this baked bolognese thing. Um, and my mother still makes it for me every single time I go home. Like it's, it's staple and it reminds me of home. I, I, I think if I described it to anyone, they go, why would you eat that? I'm like, look, I don't know. It has tin spaghetti you in it. I can't explain it. it, but it's something I used to eat when I was a kid. And when I go home, my partner rolls his eyes every time he sees it because he knows what it is. And I'm just like chowing down and going, this is amazing. <laughs> so what, what, it's a bolognese or? It's kind of like a bolognese. It's mince that you kind of have a bolognese base with when i was a kid my mother used to put actually like a tin of spaghetti in it like just a weird new zealand thing don't ask me why we have tin spaghetti with everything um it's like that in pineapple um i have seen new zealanders put pineapple with sushi and i was horrified <laughs> um so tin, tin spaghetti tin spaghetti mince you cook it with onion and garlic 
Uh, my mother used to grate carrot in it um, when she didn't put the spaghetti in it. So she would get some vegetables into me. Mm -hmm. um, and then you would put it in the oven with some cheese on top um, and then cook it for like half an hour. And then it was served with rice. Whoa. Um, so, wait, the tinned spaghetti has noodles in it. Yeah. Yeah. It does, she doesn't put the tin spaghetti in it anymore. I think I grew out of the tin spaghetti pretty quickly, thank God. But I do remember a time when mum would put tin spaghetti in it. And it would still go on rice? So it's a double yeah. start? Double nice. start, yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds fun. Is there a name of the dish? Like, is no. this a regional dish or just no, something your mom th this is, I literally think this is my something my mother came up with because she looked at her child, her youngest child, and went, I don't know how to feed you. You keep saying no to food. You eat. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know how to, yeah, I need to figure a way to actually get you healthy food. And I don't yeah. know how to do that. So I'm going to do this and then try and sneak in. Because I was really fussy. I'll eat anything now. Like, I'll try anything. But yeah, as same. a kid, I, anything that was weird or different um, or yeah. didn't have, like, the two basic flavors that I liked, which was usually sweet or, or savory, wasn't interested in. So I think it was just a way for my mother to go, right, if I can feed her through the week on this, I don't have to worry about her just starving or trying to eat a whole bunch of lollies in the cupboard. Like that is, it was much more of a survival technique for my mother, I think. I love that. And unlike the mom in the movie, she made that up. You didn't, yeah. you're not going to go to some stand and be like, wait a second. Wait a second. Um, no, New Zealand has this really bizarre, unique uh, thing. Cause we'll crumb, we're like, because they're, we did have a high Scottish population early on. So everything is crumbed or deep fried. Um, we, but we eat a lot of fish because we're on a small island. Um, and then we'll just like, for some reason, put spaghetti on a pizza. Like, yeah. Um, it's, it's very, the, the New Zealand has, the more, the, the longer I've lived away from New Zealand and go back, the more I'm looking at the place and going, oh, we have a really weird food culture. There's something about <laughs> the Pacific, the Scots, this other, and just the isolation that just like created something weird wow i love that mm. i love specificity of areas and especially like in the states we I, we don't get a lot of it's very you know we don't get a lot of cross-pollination of stuff like i'm fascinated by the curry situation in the uk because yeah. it's like just normal people are like oh i go get a kebab if i've been drinking or i go get a curry and i'm just like what like that was very separate here like it's mm. not there's no cross pollination until I went to like a, a British pub and their, their um, fries came with curry ketchup. And I was yes. like, hell's this, this is amazing. Like, what is, how did this get here? Why is curry in this British pub? And then it turns out I don't know history. So it's like, Oh, okay. No, the, the British invented their own curry. <laughs> so it's like they invented butter chicken and, um, oh, right, the other right. one. yeah. Like, like if you want to go to India and have authentic curry, it's not going to be butter chicken. Um, it's going to be like dull and amazing, amazing food. That's what I love about living in Melbourne because since it is so multicultural, you just get all kinds of weird things mixed together. Like you will get the British curry with the fries and the, but then what's to say sauces on the side? Um, yeah. So many different yeah. fusion restaurants, but then you can go and have the most amazing sushi you've ever had um, because Melbourne prides itself on being a food town. That's how we both end up talking about food so much is because exactly. we both live in food towns. And it's like, you live well, in Portland, which might be the ultimate food town, it just in terms of, especially farm to table. I don't think Melbourne's ever quite embraced mm -hmm. that as much. 
uh, just because Melbourne is a sprawling city. So you always have to kind of ship things in. It doesn't have that connection to the land that, say, Portland would do, does with a lot of its restaurants. Um, but Melbourne will go, no, we have the best Chinese food, the best Vietnamese, the best Italian, the best, some of the best Greek you'll ever have. And it's not in those countries of origin, but because we had all these people move here, you can have whatever food that you would like to eat. Yeah. When we were just in New York last week, um, there was a place that Sarah looked up for five or six years and we'd never been. And she's like, this is the time. And we went and what they do is they do tacos, but they do Indian tacos. So you're getting curries in a taco format. It was so good. Mm. And so, like, it just made sense. But like now I'm salivating again. Uh, but everything like had flavor. It wasn't like Americanized in a way. Like mm. sometimes places we have around here, it's um it's been westernized. And so it's very flat in a lot of the flavors. Mm. But luckily we have some friends who are chefs. Um, one of my friends, Kumi, who is like the layering of flavors, it just blew my mind. I had it turns out I'd never really had Indian food, you know, and then I have it in hers even is like a fusion of from living in um Arizona. So that's that area infused with mm. Indian. So lots of just peppers and but just like the layers of heat and tartness and tanginess and spice, the complexities of that cuisine, which had been so dumbed down for for us Westerners in its actual like applications. Unbelievable. And it's like it's like um in this movie where she takes a bite of something and then you see her just take a moment of. Like, yes. And that's like, I think what we've lost in a lot of food where we're just like, OK, I have to eat now. Or, you know, that's lunch for a lot of people is just like this throwaway meal that we're like, shove something in my face so I don't yell at someone until I get off work. Like, it's pretty like, much. Yes. <laughs> like, imagine a lunch where you like take a bite of something and you just go, oh, my gosh, wow. It's like time stops for a second. You're not just already shoving the next bite in because you're just like, oh, this is it's like if you ever have really good wine for whatever your palate enjoys compared to like when you're just drinking $10 bottle of wine at home. Oh, or something. Yes. You know, when you take a sip instead yes. of a mouthful. Oh, like, my God. Oh. It's, oh, because, yeah, I have uh, what we like to call the Audi, which is another supermarket. They have very cheap wine, which we have been sustaining off of that got us through the pandemic. It's actually not too yeah. bad, but it's still like a very base kind of wine. Yeah. Uh, we have a we have friends who um, whose family owns a winery, so they're kind of managing it now in a place called Martinborough in New Zealand, which is just outside of Wellington. So we went up there to say hello and you know, Dan had never been there before. So we're like, yeah, we'll go, uh, we'll go to Martinborough, which is this amazing little wine village. Um, it's more wine. It's more grapes than people. Um, very much a tourist town. And they would, which I actually need to order some of their wine because their um, Pinot Gris was, and there was this Austrian white that I fell in love with. It was just the, you could taste the citrus underneath the wine. You could actually yeah. taste the layers of it. And I'm not, I love wine, um, but I don't necessarily go, yes, I can taste that this was a da-da-da year, but da-da-da year. And it's that same experience. It makes you stop and think about what you're actually eating, yeah. not just say last night when I was just having, I was doing some stuff for the podcast. I was showing Dan air. I was, I was only half paying attention. And so I was doing all these things and just drinking some cheap wine, enjoying it um but not really paying attention but when you ha when I was having those tastings I was like oh this stops me in my track and she's doing this with every single bite that she's eating every single time her friends taste mm. something like with going back to the bean 
take her, one of her friends goes, oh, this isn't quite like your mother's. It's a little saltier and not as sweet. And she goes, oh man, because I did put an extra salt in and my mother uses pumpkin to sweeten it up, um, which I didn't have. So um, it's about that learning process, but it's actually understanding that the layers of taste, as you were saying with your your friends are chefs, um, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's about kind of just, sitting with the food you're eating and actually understanding what what you're eating. Yeah, there's a, there's a dish she does in here that I was very confused by. And so I was like looking it up, trying to figure it out, but I kept saying milk was involved. Milk's not involved, but it looks like it is. And it's a dish that's called uh, oi ning gu. And that's um, oi meaning cucumber and ning gu is cold soup. And it's a dish she makes where it looks like she pours milk over cucumber that she's cut almost like a noodle shape yeah great and then there's tomato and that's it and um and what it is is it's like a water kefir or like a yogurt Mm. and then cucumber and tomato and it's eaten on a very hot day so it's kind Uh, of like yes but um but super simple and and seeing her make it i was like i don't get it but then when you see her sit down with the door open and you can just feel the heat of summer and she's just eating it and just feeling so like cooled and satiated by it. You just kind of like, oh yeah, food can do that too. Like, yeah, we think of beverages like, oh, an ice cold beer on a hot day, that's great. But then like, food can also do the same thing. I was, I, it sounds silly, but it just like I sat for a second and went, what a, what a simple, beautiful thing just to show like, I don't know, it's pretty amazing. And and like. That's not even the main part with tomatoes where her and her mom eat the tomatoes, which is like the most beautiful scene. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so glad I watched the scene again because I wasn't paying attention to what they were saying the first time around. I was just paying attention to how they were eating the tomatoes and how good. Because she makes a comment at how freshly grown tomatoes taste really good better than store-bought, which is always going to be true for anything like that. Yeah. They're just char- but they're just the way they're eating like, like a tomato, like an apple. Um, yes. And just... Yeah, and just um, thing, and her mother's sort of just talking about how you need to find your own place. And I think she's talking about how how you need to find your own place in the world. And all these kind of very, it's the heart of the movie, essentially, when you kind of get the thesis of what's everything, what what is happening. Yeah, it's it's so, like, just matter of fact. It's not like hammering you over the head with an idea, but it's yeah. such like a beautiful idea. And And this movie has a couple different, things like that like where it shows the contrast of like her friends and their jobs where they're just like i hate this why am i doing this which is like for a lot of people it's like you know you get jobs then you just do the job forever um and it's like that way of thinking is very much when i was still in high school it was like you know career day they're like what are you going to do forever it's like what they're asking a 16 year old and you're like i don't want to do anything forever like you know and so this movie is saying like there's choices, there's options, there's things that you can you can do. And I, I love that. And especially when she's like, it's this thing that she thought she was running from to a big city. And it's like coming back. And, um, and then, you know, the mom is talking in this film about like how she found her little forest and what she hopes is that she can find her her own the daughter can find her little forest to tend to. And, um, and that's a beautiful thing. I don't know, there's just so many scenes like the roadside scene that I just go, this is this is great. I mean, the chestnut scene in in fall is yes. so great. And she says like glazed chestnuts uh, is like a deep breath into autumn, and you're just mm. like, oh my gosh, 
perfect. And my I just, favorite, yeah. The only thing I was a little bit really is the flowers with the pasta. I was that's oh, the that only dish I was like, okay, now mm, really. <laughs> we have so much like, so right now we've all planted our gardens in in Oregon. Mm. Um, weather's just got nice enough for us to do that. And my first thought tomatoes i can't wait for tomato season every year i get super excited it's the only time they actually taste like something yes um, so i love that and then when the edible flowers hit they're on everything here i mean they're on noodles they're on pizzas for sure they're oh like my God. They get, Mel melbourne they says no you'll never see that in melbourne even at the height of flower season <laughs> it's it's not a thing Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Uh, farmers sell just the plastic clamshells of just edible flowers um, and like every pop-up dinner, every whatever, there's edible flowers on dessert. There's edible flowers on savory courses. It's like, it's a thing. So when I saw it, I was like, yep, that's a thing here for sure. No, it's not a thing in Melbourne. I think if you tried that, you'd be told to get out. Like it's not, <laughs> I mean, Melbourne is an amazing food town, but it's overly trendy. Like I know Port Portland has a set similar sort of thing, but I think Portland wants to keep its country kind of small town vibe about it by the sounds of it. I will get to Port Portland one day and I will finally experience everything Portland um, and the food and um, the, the maple bacon donuts and everything. We've um, gotten a little bit away from that, but yes. Good. Yes, good. Cause that, no, <laughs> um, some flavors just no, but I think Melbourne loves to think that it's trendy, but it loves itself on just very simple um for lack of a better word, ethnic food. And I sort of mean that, but with Italian, a Greek, Chinese, British, like it's all kind of these different things and you can mix them together, but putting flowers on pasta would be a big no-no. It would be, you have a good marinara sauce or you have a good cheese sauce with pepper. That's yeah. it. Why ruin it? And, um, but that is just, because Melbourne is a very big spoiling city. We all wear black. We're all a little bit too cool for our own good. Um, <laughs> We all like to listen to vinyl. It's not like, we're not an outside people like say Portland sounds mm. like it is. I'm not either. So we're weird people in uh, in Oregon because we don't wear like Columbia sportswear. We're not like hiking on trails. I have yeah. an indoor kit through and through. That stuff is here for sure. And you can get to waterfalls and stuff within 30 minutes, but that's not my, my thing. But that is here. Um, since you mentioned... Gosh, I don't even remember what you just said, but you said something. Oh, you're talking about uh, cuisine and interweaving. Yeah. Um, so here we have some pretty great French, French Canadian. Uh, oh, of course you would. Yes, yeah. So, um, and I did a an episode with this, one of the chefs who who has probably the best chef, Aaron Barnett. And my episode for VHS, if people want to listen, is who's killing the great chefs of Europe, where chefs are being killed in the style of their signature dishes, which I think is a fantastic premise. I need um, that's to watch this. This sounds very yeah. blood theater and I need to pair them together. <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. It's very first season. Let's do it as a duet. Yeah. Uh, or, um, but because you're talking about like a fusion-y kind of things, not that that's a gross word, but we all know what we mean. Um, when I was in New York, we went to uh, Jumak, uh, Jumak Banjan, which is mm. a New York City Korean restaurant that does a tasting menu. So we're still talking about Korean food here. Um, but it's in a like a high end situation. They just got their first Michelin star, which is awesome. Oh yes, the chef is fantastic. But he did a dish that was um, 
octopus, black garlic, and then he did a Sam Jang Sabayon. So Sam Jang is a sauce made of fermented soybeans, red chili paste, sesame oil, onion, garlic, a little bit of brown sugar. Yum. That's Korean. And then that's folded into a Sabayon, which is a French sauce, which is traditionally made with egg yolk, sugar, wine, normally like Marsala wine. Mm. So it's that provides the backbone of like a French sauce, like that sort of buttery fattiness that like is so amazing in French cuisine because yeah. they really amazing fortified sauces. But then to add this like fermented, fantastic, like Korean, Korean spice situation, it's, it blew my mind. Like my wife and I both just kept taking little, like just barely dipping a fork in it and then just tasting it and going, what is this? Like, this is, a, and I stopped the waiter to be like, I'm sorry, what is this? <laughs> so, and then she told me and I was like, it's just so amazing. Two complex flavors from two different continents mm. merged in one sauce. I just, I love that kind of stuff. And, um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's still talking about Korean food, but with French applications. I don't know. It's cool. So hey, even this though this movie has creme brulee as well, I mean, yes, um, that's true. Creme brulee, la, la, la. They, she, she also, yeah, creme brulee, la, la, la. She made creme brulee look really easy. Like I have tried to make yes. it in home ec, remember one year, and it was a disaster. And when she makes it, it looks like the easiest thing in the world. I'm like, no, no, that is not an easy dish to make. I mean, it's not quite like a souffle where it has to be absolutely perfect. Like the eggs have to be just like, my mother can make an amazing souffle. I don't understand how, but she can kind of um, do that. But when she's making the creme brulee, it is actually quite an intricate little dish that looks very simple. And you're like, Okay, now you're making the creme brulee look simple. I know how difficult that dish is actually to make. You can you can I, you can make a terrible love, creme brulee very easily. And, yes, and I love that she had the little ramekins and everything. Like it's just this gorgeous little presentation that she does. It's the mom is is pretty great. I, I'm a big yes. fan. Yes, no, it's a very good performance. Um, though I want to talk about that kitchen. It's a very typical um, Japanese uh, Asian kind of tiny kitchen. That doesn't look like much. Um, there's a Japanese movie I love called uh, Shoplifters, which if you ever want to cry for two hours, yeah, watch I've this seen. movie. Um, and it kind of reminds me of their ha that house. So this house is in the country. They're not on the edge of poverty, so they haven't like half stolen this house like they have in um, Shoplifters. But it's this kind of very low to the ground. Everything's simple. There's no sort of cupboards. There's just sort of spices in the windows. And um, it's a very simple oven, but it's not about, because I, I guess more in Western traditions, we grow up with more the Nora Ephron and the, um, oh, I forgot her name. Something's got to give. Um, Nancy Myers, which oh, everyone, yeah. has, everyone has the most amazing fantasy kitchen. They yeah. live in New York. They have a tiny apartment, but they have a massive kitchen kind of thing. And that's where you can make all this glorious food. In say a Japanese film, um, especially we get into sort of Topopo because they are using, they're much more economical with space, yes, and yes. especially in this in Little Forest, everything is on the outside. It's much more communal with the food, especially when they're in the rice paddies, when they're growing tomatoes. Um, everything, even the house isn't that fenced off. It's like a you got a wall, but it's very easy yeah, access. Open. It's very open living, open, open open space. The house is kind of tiny. It's just very functional, but you can still create these dishes in these kind of kitchens because it's just about the ingredients and heat. Um, it's not about the, even though I do love Nancy Myers movies and I do love her fantasy kitchens because they are not real in any way, shape or form unless you, yeah. But I love that kitchen. It reminds me of 
the house in my neighbor Totoro. How mm-hmm. it's my favorite house in a movie. It's got some of my favorite. I mean, Miyazaki when he does food in a movie like in uh, Ponyo, yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> the ramen in Ponyo is chef's kiss. Um, and the food in this and with the sprite, you can imagine sprites living in this house in in this tiny village in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, just the sliding of the doors open to be like, okay, like this house is open to the environment now. Yeah. Yeah, just fresh air. Wow, what a concept. What What a concept. No, my house is not, I mean, it's Australia, so everything has to be kind of covered so when it's really hot, you don't die. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But in winter, it needs to be, because it does get quite cold here, and we're just sliding into winter now. Um. So I'm ready for persimmons, like that scene where she eats the persimmon at the end and you know yeah. it's winter. When the persimmons taste this good, you're in the depth of winter. And because yeah. they're just hanging um, in the in, in nature to kind of become, uh, it's not pickled, it's um, fermented, I guess. I don't know what they do to it. They are dry. They're drying out yeah, the persimmons. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a magnificent beautiful thing to kind of watch and it is such a gorgeous movie yeah I didn't cry but it just made me so happy I was just smiling throughout the whole thing even with the sadness and there's a lot of poignant sadness but it feels honest it feels real I think um Kim Tyree is hilarious especially when she's complaining how much she hurts after uh picking the rice patties um and nearly falling in i love her friends how there's these kind of intricate jealousies between the three of them but they're so close and it's the food and animals that bring them together like i love when uh the guy just throws a chicken at her and she screams like it's like one of the funniest things in the movie (laughs) (laughs) to be fair i would also scream (laughs) same yeah yeah yeah. don't throw a chicken at either one of us no no don't throw a chicken at anyone like don't (laughs) stop throwing chickens everybody this is out of control no, it's not, it's not good for the chicken either. Um, but it is just a delightful, heartfelt movie that you kind of just want to watch again. And I'm kind of glad I've discovered it because now if I'm in a mood, I can go, I can just watch Little Forest and make myself happy. Like I can live in this. And then, because uh, me and my partner had talked about going to Korea, uh, South Korea uh, at some stage. And because of the food and w- we will go back to Japan because we're both obsessed with the food in Japan. Um, mm. Even though we can get really amazing Japanese food here, we're like, yeah, it's not quite the same. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, eating's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree. I was so excited to get to have this conversation with you because I hope if somebody has not seen this movie and they've heard this conversation, then I hope, hope, hope that they will watch it, that they will share it. It's a movie that works for, um 20 somethings all the way up to like i mean my parents are in their 70s and it's like it's you know some some movies and things like oh i can't take it because there's all these weird dick jokes or whatever you know in movies and things i'm like okay it's not for this demographic but it's such a beautiful film that i think it just plays really well for for a wide amount uh wide age range and it's just um it's just so cozy. I've seen it probably eight times now because every time it's just like, why would I turn it off? <laughs> it's just um, it's, so good. And the it food's does so not good. surprise me. Yeah. It's, it's a like movie a, designed to watch eight times. Yeah. And it's just uh, every single shot of food in this is just as good as any cookbook you would buy with the promise that you're going to make that dish, even though you're probably not going to, you know, it's just like, you can save money on, on that cookbook and just watch this and be like, Oh my gosh, 
That looks great. And then maybe buy the cookbook. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe start Look, a garden. You'll find your own. Yeah, you, this is the kind of movie where you want to start a garden. Now, I'm very lucky that my guard, my partner, who's also a chef, um, and now he's not as much in the kitchen anymore. He's actually cooking more at home, which is brilliant. Um, but we also have a little garden where we do cook tomatoes. Um, we have herbs. We have chilies. I mean, when summer kicks in, it's tomatoes and chilies in everything. Mm -hmm. uh, with the lemon tree, um, we're just waiting for the lime tree to come up to the thing. And so I'm kind of lucky in that respect that because I'm hopeless at keeping plants alive, that he loves being out in the garden and doing that kind of stuff. But this is the movie that absolutely will um, encourage you to start gardening. Like it's that kind of movie. I love the notion at the end when she leaves, she's kind of going to go back to Seoul and kind of finish what she started a little bit where it's permanent. Because I love the idea of it's a coming of age movie of a young girl who realizes that um, your ideas of the future and your dreams of the future aren't permanent. You have to find your own little place, which is what you were saying before. Yeah. And so, and she kind of just leaves and sort of says, whoever finds Five-O, the dog, is is going to be looking after him. Same with the chicken. And she, and the friend's like, oh, man, she's not going to come back. She's just disappeared again. And he's like, no, she's um, planted a forever crop, which means a crop that's going to rejuvenate and is going to need something and is kind of permanent. So she will yeah, be back. I but I, yeah, I love that notion of, of, of the forever yes. of the forever crop. Yeah, because he's like, you don't you don't move the onions. So she'll be back and she returns to harvest those onions and it's just like so satisfying that, that you're like that might be one of my favorites is which she's put i don't she's not putting cheese in it she's putting some sort of um vegetable looked, thing yeah I, it's like a are, toasty with an onion i'm like oh my god i need that yeah there's there's a number of these baked onion recipes that i found where you kind of make like a french onion soup inside the onion in a way mm. Top it with like some Gruyere cheese. I don't know that that's what she's doing, but I could not find any kind of Korean baked onion recipe. So I don't know what it is. I don't know, um, but I want it. I want it. Like I want every dish in here except for the egg sandwich. Uh, I would take all of it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Even the sound effect of this of her eating the egg sandwich. I was like, mm, no, no, because it's after she gets her chicken <laughs> and she's get eggs. And I have never been a fan of an egg sandwich at, ever. I've never oh. understood why. I can have eggs on toast, but an egg sandwich, I'm no. That is oh, absolutely not. Nightmare fuel for me. I was me like, too. no. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the club sandwiches that at every um, function, it's like there's always half of my egg. I'm like, oh, no. The egg's always cold and it's oh, disgusting. And it's so weird. No, I want every other dish. It's the only, if I was like, if someone's like, you got to say something bad about this movie, I said, I'd say that cut the egg sandwich scene. <laughs> I would cut I the did. pasta, the, the flowers in the pasta, the tempura fried flowers, I'm all for. That's, that looks actually delicious. In the pasta, no. And also the egg sandwich, no. I would scrap those two, but everything else, this movie's perfect. But everything out of that, the movie's perfect. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um yeah and it is amazing and now i kind of want to track down a series that kim tyree is in uh well i think with one of her handmaiden co-host uh co-host uh, co co-actors co in it uh which i need to track down uh, yeah it, the korean south korean culture is exploding and the food is just now starting to come up and i think this movie is a really great introduction into korean culture but also create uh, the creativity of um yeah. what they can do so um yeah especially that onion bake i'm like yes yeah it's um 
Korean food is is in in the U.S. There's it's still like okay Korean barbecue place where you cook yes, your own food on the grill. Korean chicken thing, is right? huge in Melbourne at the moment, which is yeah. very good, but it's not. Yeah, there's like uh, there's uh, this amazing Indian place that I love on the main what Flinders Street in Melbourne, and it's just kind of across the street from the main train station. You go in at the front, it's all the normal stuff you'd expect from a Mel from somewhere. Like expect you find a chicken, your kuma kind of thing. And then if you go around the corner, that's when you get your dal and your actual good southern Indian kind of food. And that's where you go. Um, and it's a bit sneaky because you see all the normal people who don't realize at the front. And then when you go around the corner, you're like, ah, here here is I can have my potato dal. I'm very happy. Yeah, there's a my my friend is a chef. He's got a food cart here called Kim Jong Grillin. And he does um really awesome like Korean food like the bibimbap and uh, the japchae like the potato potato starch noodles, um, but it's different because you know he can't really do like the banchan the little dishes of different goodies that you get. But there's a restaurant in the outskirts of Portland in Beaverton area, I think it's Beaverton, where there's a grocery store, and then in the back up the stairs there's a small restaurant and it's like card tables and you know, the, the restaurant is, uh, none of the signs are in English. There's mm. pictures, so you know what you're getting, basically. And we went there with a couple of friends, and they were, like, you know, from Korea, had the food, and we're like, this is the real deal. And I'm oh, like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Like, this is what I want to be having. Yeah. This is, I've never heard of, where there's, like, ice cubes in the noodles. I was like, I don't even know what this is. Um, but everything, like, just blew my mind, the complexities of flavors. Like I was saying, for Indian food, it's like it wasn't watered down for me. And so it's like, that was super awesome on a street level. You know, it's like, this is what you'd get almost like a... I mean, at a restaurant, but like, you know what I mean? By street, like, it's just like casual is what I'm saying. Yes. Whereas my, when Sarah and I went to LA for our anniversary and my friend's wedding, she got us a table at this restaurant called Kin. And it's a Korean, like, high-end oh, taste. Oh, yeah. And some of those dishes, I was just like, well, I'll never forget this. In fact, Vanessa Guerrero on um, Twitter, she posted a picture of the octopus dish. And I was like, oh, you're at Kin. And she's like, how did you know? <laughs> remember that octopus set it's amazing but they did a thing there where they did a, a salad and the dressing for the salad the herb dressing was an ice cream oh it was interesting unbelievable it was so good it wasn't sweet it was just like the textural interplay the coolness of it it was you know 115 degrees at the time in, mm. in la so much appreciated um but it was so cool to see the this cuisine that hasn't been really put in the spotlight I would say yet here yes. per se. Um, now we've been to two of these types of places where it's like it's it is Korean. It's not Korean American, and they are, you know, awesome. And their food is amazing, and it should be like held as high as you know French cuisine is achieved or whatever. Yes. You know, and seeing this one restaurant get their first Michelin star, I was like, yes, like this is maybe this is the start of what's happening where this you know, culture and their food is actually being like looked at and evaluated and been like, no, this is as great as anything else, if not better. Like, so yeah. it's just pretty, pretty awesome. And, um, and you know, that's all I have to say about Korean food. Cause we're now moving into Japanese food. I was just going to say, this is Japanese food's kind of already reached that status. And I am obsessed. You're good to go on to uh Timpopo. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. Now we're going to get into a movie about one of the greatest, foods ever like me and oh my god ramen i 
I've eaten already, but I I want ramen. The curtains are opening. Um, I probably have a bowl in front of me because I because I don't know how you how you I don't know something about it's we're gonna there's gonna be a lot of talk of noodles. Yep. Dirk, what is gonna be your first trailer for Tempopo? Okay, my first trailer is Haute Cuisine from 2013. Ça, c'est lui le fonctionnaire qui a Je vous présenter Monsieur Le Pic, notre chef de cuisine. Non, écoutez, euh, on voit les présentations plus complètes une autre fois. Cuisine privée de la présidence de la République, j'écoute. Nous allons commencer par une brouillade de cèpe au cerfeuil. J'ai besoin de retrouver le goût des choses. Uh, it's the story of Danielle Dapouk mm -hmm. and how she was appointed as the private chef of François Mitterrand. Um, it's, you know, it. It's a little more dramatic than, you know, like I was saying for like Little Forest where I didn't want to get too like into the into the drama yet, but this has a lot of that like kind of interplay. But you're watching this badass woman who achieve all this amazing stuff around these kind of idiot dudes to put it politely. Pretty but much. um yeah. But it's it's really fun to watch her go through the paces and command. You know how it's going to end. It's not like you're like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" Um but it's very fun, and since we make Marshall's Haute Sauce, I had to pick something called Haute Cuisine anyway. So that's my first trailer. What I would be just—I would be disappointed if you didn't. I've seen this. I think it was after it just came out. I need to watch it again, but I do remember enjoying it. Like it was just more about the food porn, I think, for that movie from memory. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I do need to then to watch it again. Uh, my first trailer is a movie that I know that you are a big fan of as well because we had like a twenty-minute conversation when it came out <laughs> on the best of. But I am going to go for Pig from 2021. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone star. I don't understand. Tell me you are. You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. Whenever I go to Portland and I find that chefs do not have death matches in alleys and basements, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, we don't. A lot of them are, you know, they're all in alcohol abuse recovery. So they, yeah, they, like most chefs, uh, unfortunately, it's a hard yeah, job. Not, not punching each other anymore. They're they're more like having pop ups together and stuff. Yes. So it's a community thing, which is better for everybody. Yeah, it is. No, Pig is a special movie. It is kind of one of those movies that. I think a lot of people forgot about Nicolas Cage, which I don't know how because Mandy was like a year before or a couple of years before or something. But this movie is just, it was kind of marketed as a man who wants his pig back, but it is more about uh, the love of doing what you want and not necessarily worrying about the trends that, um, which the restaurant industry, it's everywhere. 
it's not just Portland, but because it is set in in Portland, yeah, your home your hometown. But it is just about um, that scene when Nick Cage is sitting down and talking to the chef, who's like, "Yeah, yeah, we've got the latest of this, this, and this." He's like, "Didn't you just want to own a pub?" And it's yeah. such a heartbreaking um, scene of people thinking they need to stay relevant in an industry where people just prefer you make make good food. It's not about what the latest trend is. It's like, can you make this dish well? And which is what you were saying with Ken, seeing this yeah. like amazing experience, but at the same time, the food has to be good as well as the presentation. And that's what, kind of what it is for me. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of like intent. So whenever I'm doing something like right now, I'm currently very into supreming citrus. Mm. And it's something about the time of cutting the skin off and, you know, cutting out the little jewels of the orange or the grapefruit so there's no pith and the squeezing of the juice out so there's nothing wasted. Doing that time and knowing how much it's appreciated by my wife and daughter, it's it's really great for my brain, for myself. I feel awesome while I'm putting all this time and effort into providing it for them with like no pith on each one. It's just like this little gem of citrus. And in Little Forest, I feel like there's that. And I think that's sort of what we're getting to in the movie Tampopo is that it's another, like, the intent. And so when you see Nicolas Cage, like, in the movie Pig, uh, not the part where he's chasing the pig, but, like, you know, in the cooking parts, it's, like, it's that intent. It's taking the time. It's building the flavor. It's the respect of the ingredient. And all of that is, like, you could apply that to anything. There's books and books about just trying to get people to slow down and take a moment of their life. Yes. like present and that's kind of what this is you know there's those little bits of it in these in these situations so um so yeah i i love pig pig's great yeah when he's making that dish for uh adam arkin at the end i think it's just like a i don't think it's even pork i can't remember what the meat is he's just making this amazing dish and it kind of delves into food porn a little bit because you're seeing how the sauce glazes the meat and all this amazing uh, thing but what the scene is actually really doing is it's showing his care with each ingredient and how it's going to accentuate the different flavors already in the dish and just the care of the cooking, just the pure joy of going back and cooking. And it's a remarkable movie. That's a lot more about than just food. Like it is a food movie, but I think it's more about man dealing with grief, um, more multiple people dealing with, with grief, especially with the Alex Wolf character. Um, mm -hmm. It's a journey. It's about a changing city. It's about dueling. It's about, chef culture and how they used to punch each other up in the alleyways because it's a hard job and it does take a toll on you when you're working so long hours that are unsociable and all this kind of thing and how obsession can kind of isolate you yeah it's, it's dealing with so many things which I think because I was going to use it for Little Forest but I think since because it has so many themes like Tempopo I thought it would be a better trailer for Tempopo so that is why I'm showing it here perfect love it yeah uh what is going to be your second trailer Second trailer is The 100-Foot Journey from 2014. 100 feet across the street, the restaurant has a Michelin star. The President of France dines there. Can Mr. President order murg masala? Cook the way Hassan cooks? People here don't eat those things. They have never tried. Now they sell. We open Saturday night. My son is the best Indian chef in Europe. Raise your hand. Don't feel shy. Don't raise your hand. Raise your hand, Hassan. I'm talking to you. Begin! Waiting party over there. A funeral. The death of good taste. 
if your food is anything like your music, I suggest you turn it down. I will turn the music down, but I will turn the heat up. You don't know when enough is enough. Enough of you. Papa, relax. What do you mean, relax? Spoiled the whole game. <laughs> the restaurant is her entire life ever since her husband died. I can clean my own wall. The outer wall is not your wall. I know because I had a clever plan to have it built very high so nobody could see your restaurant. This is I, a movie. I rented this is on my queue. I, I'm excited. I, oh, great. I didn't see it until this year. I hadn't even heard of it. It's Neither had I. You just casually threw it out, and I was like, I I don't know what you're talking about. Which, for a movie like this, I don't know how I missed it for almost 11 years. But um, for anyone else that hasn't seen it, it's uh, directed by Lassie Halstrom. A uh, family moves across from a Michelin star restaurant, and they make Indian food. That's the short of it. Um, so you have mixtures of cultures kind of butting heads, but it's in a way that you know. Just by looking at it, you're like, I have, I think I know what this is going to work out okay. But the way that it does, the way it shows food, the story it kind of tells, how it has these characters that are apart and then sort of gelling, it's really great. It's really fun, and the food is really well shot. So, uh, yeah, it just seemed like it fit really well um, for this trailer. What's your second trailer? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that one out because it did look really good. Uh, I am, my second trailer is rewatching Tampofo. I had forgotten how much the movie involves in these vignettes. So I decided to go with another sketch-based movie that has one of the most disgusting food scenes ever put to film. And that is, of course, Monty Python's Meaning of Why. Tired of questioning your own existence? Not much happening at the moment, is there? Now... In a special limited offer. Don't stand there, Corbin! Oh, you've never seen Yandercott before! The meaning of life can be yours. Yes, it's all here. In a new, unabridged translation by Monty Python. I mean, what's it all about? Philosophy! Oh, that sounds wonderful. Is that a sport? No, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Including why you were born. And what are you doing this morning? It's a birth. Wonderful what you can do nowadays. What do I do? Nothing, dear. You're not qualified. Why things don't always work out. The mill's closed. We're destitute. I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. <laughs> um, way through thin. Uh, so this movie is up and down. I don't think it completely works, but when it works, it is some of the most amazing Mighty Python skits you've ever seen like the sex ed class uh graham uh jones with the fat suit getting fatter and then exploding uh, the fish wow. classic that opening scene with um great uh with uh terry gilliam uh terry jones and, uh, and then terry gilliam um with the whole people in the office who become pirates i don't know there's some real different imaginations you can kind of tell they're drifting apart because there's no kind of cohesive element as they're first two movies um or even the sketch show but when meaning a life works and i'm never going to forget the exploding terry jones ever it's it's so gross yeah i was never a monty python person until i got mono one summer and so i had a hundred and something degree fever and it was like 103 degrees out i was completely delirious and just 
got the Monty Python videos off the shelf at the store and was just like watching them in a delirium. And I was so happy. And then after that, it was one of those things that I would have got into if theater kids hadn't loved Monty Python so much. And then I was like, oh, I don't like that. And what really it was, was I didn't like how the theater kids were acting, but Monty Python was awesome. For a picture show. I was like, not oh, for yes. me. <laughs> Still couldn't quite click with that. There are moments I had, mainly Tim Curry's Franken, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter, but yeah, I, I still need to give that another watch. But yeah, theater kids are annoying. I remember a friend showing me that uh, now for something completely different in high school and just, okay. yeah, and going, wait, you can do that? That This makes no yeah. sense. And it's just a remix of their best skits from Monty Poppins' Flying Circus. Um, but the the funniest joke of the world and John Cleese going now for something completely different than Full Andre. Like, I was just like, oh my God. And then to see um, their other movies and just laugh, but then to watch this one and kind of see the breaking apart of the group, like you're watching... Um, a band yeah. break apart, but still seeing kind of why each person in the group is absolutely a comic genius is, is yeah, and I think it does work. It's got, they're only two years apart. I think there's a very similar tone to them in terms, of, though I think Tempopo is much more cohesive in its vignettes than Meaning a Life, but I think it still would be a really good trailer. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I love that. And with that, we're going to go into probably one of the uh, greatest food movies ever made. Like, I... I still haven't seen Babette's Feast. I keep meaning to, and apparently that is one of the grades. But at the moment, I don't see anything topping exactly what Tim Popo, director um, and writer, Juzo Itami, 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 I'm going to get the one, get it, I'm going to get it one day. Itami um, created. <laughs> It's like this simple storyline, right? Of this cowboy truck driver training this underdog aspiring ramen chef. It's like Rocky Balboa. But it's not just about a lady in a noodle shop. It's a movie about all these deep human needs, and you sometimes spend very little moments going off into someone else's story. Because the movie beautifully offshoots into these weird little sidebars. Like all the women learning how to eat spaghetti. So you have did this for one of your first series on VHS. So this was probably a good couple of years. So was this a video store pick that you'd picked up and just go, ooh, ramen? Or was this a more of a discovery when you were older or? Older, yeah, yeah. We yeah. didn't have this. We didn't have a lot of, like, back then it was called foreign films, which was mm. basically anything not from the States. So silly. But, um, yeah, we did not have this um, Tampopo. I heard about it. Uh, maybe it was a revival playing at the art house theater. Um, but I rented it and then was like, what is this? Like, is I, what I knew of, of Japanese cinema was like, um, gosh, I mean, my first 
like dipping my toe in was um Oh God, I'm so blank. I'm blank. Oh, for me, it was um, Ozu. It was those big classical directors, Kurosawa. It was um, Godzilla. It, it, you probably had a different introduction, but for me, it was definitely oh, no. more the classical. Yeah, it was Tetsuo the Iron Man. That's oh, the cool. first. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, I went back to the classics, Kurosawa stuff like that. But uh, I didn't know that there was like kind of like art house type films and things. I mean, I just didn't like, that's like short of flavor I use for Tom Popo because you do have these vignettes and things and stuff that I was like, what is this? Cause it's not an action movie. It's not like, you know, a, a drama. Is it a drama? Cause it's fantastical in ways. And, uh, and it just really blew me away. And I, I just didn't talk about it for like ever. And then when I was starting my podcast, I was like, I want to do Tom Popo. And I knew someone that had organic noodles and I knew someone that, you know, had a ramen shop. And I was like, I can do two episodes, one on the noodles, one on the broth. And it's, so it's two very different conversations about, about this movie than we're about to have. But um, it, you know, like you feel, it's a classic. It's amazing. And the you mentioned Tampopo in the right circle and every single person will have the same response. Yeah. <laughs> I've never it, met a person that's seen it that was like, nope. It's like, no, I do, awesome. I do not like that movie. Because, yeah, my introduction was the classics, but it was also sort of the J-horror, like when I was sort of starting to watch more um, international or, you know, not in an English-speaking language movies, it was The Ring, it was The Grudge, it was uh, Battle, Battle Royale, and then it was Ozu with these very gorgeous parlor dramas, and then a little little bit later was a Kurosawa because I was too intimidated. I thought he was going to be way too dense for me to understand, and then I realised, no, he just was a big movie geek. Um, or it was like a lot more genre, I think. And then to watch Tim Popo, which kind of has a Western flavor, but not, it's only around the edges. It's not as Western mm-hmm. as I had remembered. Because I saw this on the, I managed to see this on a big screen at a Melbourne Film Festival. They gave you a little bowl of noodles, which I don't think was actually that good, but it tasted better because you were watching Tim Popo. And did that I was, here too. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, just, it's like after the menu, they gave us cheeseburgers and the cheeseburgers were great. But after that cheeseburger in the menu, which I know you don't have to pit cheeseburgers against fine dining. They can, you yeah, can enjoy yeah. both. Um, still that I, all I wanted was a cheeseburger after watching the menu. Like that looked like an amazing cheeseburger. And uh, same with uh, Tempopo. And I, and I already love ramen. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, you go to sort of ramen stores were starting to pop up in Melbourne more. It's, um, and then when I went to Japan, the first thing we did when we kind of settled into Fuki, because we, when we got in down south into Fukuyaka, we found a ramen shop. And I still remember that first bowl in Japan. It was just like almost like a spiritual experience. And they do treat ramen like a spiritual experience in, in Sapopo. But yeah, it was an odd movie. I didn't quite know how it fitted, fitted in. And now I know it's, um, uh Juzo is his own kind of director. He I haven't seen any of his other movies and I need to. Um but I all I know is that um his wife who plays Tempopo is in every single one of them at some point. Um Yeah, she's in uh, she's funeral, in the tax, taxi woman and the supermarket and the super and the supermarket one. Yeah. Yeah. And Inbo no Ona, um, which is really great. But there's a bunch. Yeah. yeah. He made these really quirky movies from what I from what I can gather. And this movie is amazing. Um, I guess we should probably we'll just start with Tempo for herself. We'll get into the man in white a little bit later, because he kind of starts the movie and almost ends the No, he doesn't actually. 
he kind of <laughs> he kind of kicks out about quarter uh, three quarters of the way through from yeah, yeah. memory it's just like oh okay he's gone well he does kind of watch his own story play out on film like he says at the beginning but that store i love how because it's got a very young ken watanabe who looks mm-hmm. adorable like i was like this is not the man who who suggests who says let them fight in a godzilla movie like 40 years down the track yeah i this love him a- every time i see him in anything yeah he's fantastic um essentially there's this ramen shop and i love when they because they're two truckers which is where you get the kind of the fact that uh guru the guy who plays guru is like a man with no name almost He's always wearing mm-hmm. a hat, even in the bath, which I think is the most my new favorite moment in the movie yeah. when he's sitting in the so bath, <laughs> yeah, with his hat on. And I love how this movie tells you at the beginning how to eat ramen. And like, do you like eat the noodles or do you slip the soup? Because no, 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 you sit with it, you smell it, you talk yeah. to the pork and say, "We will meet again." I love that notion of meeting pork again. Yeah, like, this is not going to be the only bowl of ramen I will have. Yeah, the protege of the master is yes. the whole where he's and he's like, you take the tips of the chopsticks and just pet the pork, and then you know it's like all oh, this whole wonderful monologue is is really fantastic. He's he'd studied the uh, studied ramen for forty years, I think he says something like that. Yes. Yeah, it's it's really awesome, and I I always have to mention when we talk about this movie, uh, Psycho Psycho Psycho. Psycho Ogawa, who is the food stylist for Tom Popo. Um, the food stylist is integral to all of these food movies. And a lot of times we don't think of those people. But having seen uh, when my wife did a cookbook and we had a food stylist, it's amazing the things that they do. They're so subtle, but tell a story visually. And so the food stylist for Tom Popo, she it does an interview on the Criterion Collection. I don't know if you have that Blu-ray. No, uh, I do actually, but I didn't watch any of the um, extras. So one, really, I was really bad at that, but extras, I do have the uh, yeah, I do have the disc. Yeah, is an interview with Psycho, and uh, and she talks about making six hundred bowls of ramen, some to highlight uh, broth, some to highlight the noodles, um, and how the film is composed like a bowl of ramen with a central story, side parts that add flavor. And I was just like, that's amazing, and this is just an interview with the food stylist. I was just like, mind blown. Um, But I love that. So important to the movie. I mean, because it's about the different elements. Ultimately, it's about the different elements that go into making a good bowl of ramen. And it is about the broth. It is about the noodles. It is about the pork. It is about um, the seaweed and the radish and all these kind of elements that go into it. So every kind, you're right. Every kind of different, every bowl in that movie looks different because it's highlighting a different part of the, the process of how she's learning actually to make a good bowl of of ramen and i love when um kim Watabe sits down uh he plays gun and he's yeah. like oh this doesn't look promising the uh the noodle the noodles aren't even boiling and she's Water's like taking, not boiling, Water's not boiling. yeah 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 <laughs> which is just so simple a simple way to say like this person isn't respecting each individual step of this process yes. which what she learns and to have pride in it in is as she's like, whether she's boiling the noodles. I love the training montages in this film. It's just like, it's so good. It's, it's, yeah, I love, I love everything about this. It's going to be a lot of me saying, I love this. Me too. This is, I love this movie. This <laughs> is so funny. It's so cute. Uh, I love the vignettes in it. I love Tempopo. I love her performance. It is Noki 
Maimamoto, I think, or is it Ko Koji? I should actually I just wrote down names. Um, but she is fantastic because she is the struggling woman, single mother, who has inherited this restaurant from her husband who has passed on. She's just going through the motions. She's not that sort of, she doesn't know how to do it. She just literally says, I learned by watching others. And mm -hmm. it's Guru, um, who is played by, uh, yeah, he's Koju, uh, Yasumoto, and it is Nabuki Yama, Yamamoto, uh, who is Tempopo. Uh, no, uh, Suitsuma Yamagozo is, um, is a Goro. Uh, Koji is the man in the white suit, who, who's my, my other favorite part of this movie. Um, getting all the names mixed up. Nabuku, Nabuko Miyamoto is his yeah. tempo. Yeah. And just the fact that she's like, after you defended me after this, oh my God, him just throwing the, is it the radish at his face? Yes. No, <laughs> it's fish cake. Fish yeah. cake. Just throwing a bit of the fish cake at the, the man's face when he's just like abusing her. And he's like, look, I'm trying to eat in peace. I'm tired. Do you want to fight? And it's just, it's so incredible, like just the, the flick, and he just like lands on the face, and space is just like it's a very western. It's the guy who's having a fight over cheating at cards, but this time it's about terrible ramen. And terrible ramen can make you sad when you have like a bowl of ramen that doesn't quite work. It is a very sad experience because it is the whole thing is multi things coming together in one bowl. And I, oh my god, I love ramen so much. I have it like once a week. Like there's a couple places in the city I will go to just to get my ramen fix i just so what sloping the noodles ramen? uh it is a miso base with pork uh or black ramen i do love a black ramen as well mm -hmm. with a little bit of spice uh not too much and um i sometimes go for extra pork depending if i'm being naughty or not but i try not to uh, <laughs> do you have a go-to ramen and do you actually slurp the broth uh go for the broth or do you go for the noodles first I'm a noodle guy. I can't shake it. It's actually uh, in one of my episodes, I think the one where I talked to the chef about broth, I confess that I wasn't a ramen guy for a long time because I had tonkatsu ramen, which is the creamy pork broth ramen. Oh, yes. Very yeah. fatty. And I like, I like pho, Vietnamese pho, you know? The, yes, pho uh, is nice. Yeah, I have pho every time I'm sick. Because <laughs> it's like a super light yeah. um, broth. And the fattiness get, makes your lips all sticky with the, mm. with the Katsu ramen. And I was like, I don't like that. I don't like fatty meat. That's just not my vibe. Um, so it, you know, it took me a couple of times of eating ramen out to be like, oh, shio, like the salt-based broth yes. was kind of my style. Shoyu, like the soy sauce broth was more my style. Miso, like you're talking about, that depth of flavor. Yeah. Oh, so that's what I crave. Um, but ultimately, if I'm being honest, it's all about the noodles for me. Uh, I love it. I love the chewy texture. Um, it's like, that's my favorite. There's a place here called, um, oh my God, I'm gonna blank on that too. It's, uh, oh my gosh. Oh, it's called Baka Umai. There's okay, a restaurant yeah. here in Portland called Baka Umai, B-A-K-K-A-U-M-A-I. Mm -hmm. And they do all those ramens, the shio, the miso, the tonkatsu. But what they also do is they do a reaper ramen and they do... Um, their own fermented mashes of habanero and ghost oh, chili. Yeah. To it. It is, I mean, they also use one of our sauces on the pork. They use our whiskey smoked ghost on the outside of the pork that they mm. wrote. Um, so I'm a little biased, but 
the uh the scorpion one the reaper one they're really spicy ramens are so good but they're like face melting like it's so spicy but it's um they take pride in doing those mashes and they're not like super weird they're just what they need to be so yeah bakumai is probably my place and i'm gonna i'm gonna go for whatever is the spiciest at, at the ramen shops just because i want to sweat i love it that's my partner like he'll always go for the spicy kind of base yeah. ones uh, I like, uh, my, my go-to is Shinjuku, which is again on Flinders Street because I work near there. So I will usually just go there and get like the black ramen um, with a with a cider and it's just good. Um, though there's um, also the um, Mr. Ramen as well, which is really nice in Melbourne. And I'll usually go for the miso there. So it depends where I'm going, which one I'm going to have. Um, but it is... It's just really, really good. They don't completely capture, like, I love the ones with, like, the the, the flags the, the down there, which sort of says what it is, and that really yeah, yeah. small kind of bar thing. Like, there are more restaurants in, in Melbourne because you can't have, like, just three people sitting there. But I love the yeah. idea of just this little kitchen that you sit at the bar, you're looking at the thing, they ask you what you want, you tell them, they serve it up and give it to you, and you sit there with this communal kind of space. Mm. Um when we went to we, when we were in Japan, we went up to Hokkaido and Sapporo, and they have this place called Ramen Street. It's just about twenty little ramen stores. And there was this one place we went back to. Dan had like this the chili one. I had like I think it was a fish based one. Oh my god, it was like seriously a religious experience. And I'm not a spiritual person, but I'm like yeah. that ramen was. Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. I love when you get a dish and it makes you question all of your knowledge you had until that moment of that dish before yes. you know where you take that first bite or slurp or whatever and you just go hold on okay so i knew what this word was before but what is this and then like we have a pizza place here in portland called lovely's 5050 and the chef there sarah minnick she is she is pizza like she from the fermentation of the dough to like mm. she's the first chef at the farmer's market like every saturday picking out like everything like i said edible flowers um any type of like root vegetable she does a lot of not a lot of meat but a lot of vegetable based pies she ferments like chili uh not chilies uh cherry tomatoes mm. and i mean it's unbelievable when you bite into it it's not what you think of when you think of like classic pizza and i said that to her i was like but what is this she goes this is pizza and I was just like, oh, it can be different thing. I, oh my gosh. And it like, it blew my mind. So that's what I think of when you talk about that, uh, is, is trying something and being like, okay, this is another level. This yeah. is something I didn't think existed. We've uh, literally talked about it. So we could go back to Sapporo, go back to the ramen alley, see if we can find the restaurant, see if we can go get more ramen. Yeah. Ramen is just, it's, for me, it's the ultimate comfort food even though i think in japan it's sort of at least in the movie is treated like a quick almost takeaway kind of food you go there you sit at the counter you slurp down your noodles you go again like it's a very kind of um stopgap food it's not like it's a meal but it's not um like i love the scene when she's going to one of her rival um ramen stores and she hands back the bowl and she didn't finish the broth and he goes yeah, why yeah. why didn't you finish the broth <laughs> what's wrong um, yeah. So there's still a ritual to it, but it's not like uh, a go down, sit down meal um, that you have. You sit down, you have friends. It's more of a, I need to go someplace where I can get something hot, nice, and filling before I go somewhere else. That's what it's. That's what it feels like in the um in the movie, at least anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of why they're like timing her and trying to make her do it faster and yes, everything. Like she's Rocky. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's my my Rocky montage. It's delicious. Um, mm. And I think because you have your your porks roasted separately, you have your your kombu, your seaweed, or whatever that's dried separately. So really, it's just about firing those noodles because you have your broth in the pots already. Mm. They've been building those depths of flavor. Yeah. So the idea is that all this time and effort's already been put into making it. It's not like you just like a McDonald's or something, you know, it's like, no, like there's all these awesome individual stations that are just waiting to combine in a bowl. Like, it's just so cool. Like, it's just like, you have the depth of flavor from the stock. You have the chewiness of the noodles. You have the, you know, the scallions, which the, yes. Yeah. It says is like a star on top of there. That's raw. Mm. And then, you, have, you know, it's just all the different time that went into building these individual flavors, meeting in a bowl that you're just like moving around and getting little bites of different things. And it's just like, so, so satisfying. More drool. I'm drooling so much in this episode. Me too. Like, I'm just like thinking about ramen and just like going, oh man, ramen's so good. Um, it's, yeah, so that's good what it is. The, the prep has already been done and you eat it really quickly. It's filling. It's really wholesome. Um, I always eat too much of it, so I don't usually eat for quite a while after eating a big bowl of ramen, but just because there's so much pork and noodles and... Yeah. The noodle, oh, just the slightly firmer noodles. It's like, yes, um, it's so, so good. But what I love more about Timpopo, I mean, Topo, Timpopo could have just been about Timpopo and her learning how to make ramen, but this movie doesn't do that. It's not no. just about ramen. It's about, because what I loved about this double is that Little Forest is all about connecting to home and connecting um, to memory and how food relates back to that, the ground, where this Timpopo is about food and community um how you eat who you're eating with um how you show how you use food to show off how you use food to um be elegant or um slurpy like i love the slurping sound effects in this movie it is yes. so goddamn good or it's about building something doing a having the reverence to do it properly like tempopa with with the ramen or it's about the guy in the white i think he's just a man called man in white who just obviously has a kink and you just go through the movie of him and his <laughs> The fact that he brings like a six course lobster feast into the movie, but he goes, if anyone else crinkling a goddamn chip packet, um, mm -hmm. I will kill you. He obviously has a weird kink with food. I mean, the whole egg yolk thing, and they're like speedballing yeah. it in there, which goes on for far too long. But it's his kink, and I'm not gonna shame him. But it is but it's um it's more about how you relate to food as a community, as family. It's not um it's more about the the greater wild world. Like, do you have a particular skit in the movie that's your favorite, or um, is it just like all kind of runs together? What I always forget is about how many things happen in this movie. Like, yeah. when someone's on Popo, I think of the ramen shop. I yeah. think of the core part of the film. I forget about all these different things. I love the people that are afraid to order a different dish at the restaurant until the young guy who had been to France orders something and like they're all just like I'll get the soul with a Heineken and like he's like I think I'll get the soul too it's like yes. you know but I think the ladies learning to eat uh, spaghetti is like one of my favorite sequences because it's about noodles right and so yeah. when I was um, talking on the, on the episode of VHS I was like, do you slurp the noodles or whatever? And the chef was like, of course. I take this little spoon and I twirl the noodles at the chopsticks until I get it in a nice little bite. And then I'll put it in my mouth or I'll, you know, slurp the noodles. So I don't ever bite it. 
And I was like, what? Because I bite noodles all the time. I'm yeah, like, me too. Mm. I just like get some in my mouth and I'm like, that's good. And then I bite it. And he's like, you have a bunch of bitten noodles in your bowl? I was like, not for long, man. I'm, I'm powering through that thing. Like, <laughs> I like to savor the noodles. So I don't want to eat them all and like slip them all in one thing. Um, yeah. I like to savor my ramen. But no, I love that scene when the, with just like, no, you. this is how you pick up your knife and your spoon. It's well four strands yeah. of pasta around like I was very specific <laughs> for yeah. and you do not make a sound and then this American's just like shoveling pasta in his mouth slurping it up uh, like yep. and then all they all start doing it and she starts doing it it's kind of about there's a ritual to food but you shouldn't stand on ceremony like I love the scene that you mentioned before with the guys like because yeah. it's very Japanese you have them being um the guy goes from the oldest who's the more senior through to the youngest who's the nerdy guy like he's such a nerd it's amazing um yeah. to the nerdy guy and then they're all ordering the same thing they'll have a beer i'll have the soul because they're doing what they they don't want to they're too scared to order anything else from what the first guy did and then he's just like going i'll have the escargot and he's and everyone's like oh he doesn't know that he doesn't know what he's doing oh no he knows exactly what he's ordering he's exactly, just asking yeah. he's like when he's getting oh I, you know what i feel like a specific wine I'll get the Solomet, this, uh, I can't say the word, the the wine expert in a restaurant. Um, I'll get that Sol- person. Yeah, nice. and it's just, yeah, it's nice. not just Sol- Solomet. Uh, it's not just playing on um, the fact that he knows more than them. It's playing on this very specific Japanese hierarchy. And it's, yeah, I, I, I love it. Yeah, it's just one of those there's there's a reason for all the things that are in there like he's it's kind of like a fun for better or worse whimsical film at times but yes. there's reason that he's like yeah. showing this thing you know and the way that he folds it together like you know they're doing the rocky training montage and then the businessmen kind of parade by them and then we follow that part of the story yes. so it's not like rammed in there it's just like here's the turn to this next subject matter and you're just like oh okay so you're not like why are we with these people you're just kind of like oh okay what's happening in this scene all the food stuff the guy with the weird kink the man in white that whole sequence i forget is even part of the movie even though it opens up with him being like you're in a movie too what are you eating exactly Uh, yeah everyone's in a movie i love that idea like yeah there's so much happening i forget like how sexual this movie is at times yes I just think of cute little Tampopo noodle shops. So I was like, I could probably put this on with my daughter in the room. And then I was like rewatching part of it. I was like, oh, oh, oh I need to skip this part. <laughs> yeah. What is the bit where um, he's got the two fish things? He's putting them in alcohol with the upside down bowl and on her stomach. And she's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And salt and um, lemon on the nipple. And yeah, it is very sexual. The whole thing with the oyster or the mussels and the shells and they're licking the yes. hands. And uh-huh. it's, it's I very. Forget- yeah. You wouldn't think I'd forget, but I do every time. I'm like, Tam Popo, cute movie. And then I'm like yeah. watching it and I'm like, oh, there's some stuff in here. Jeez. Yeah. I should Question. remember that. Yeah, I should have watched it again. And I thought I must have just been getting distracted by my cat. The the criteria version has the turtle, right? Or am I did I miss that? Yep. Yeah, okay. I must have missed it. Because um I do remember being very shocked to be like, Oh, he's gonna kill that turtle. No, he killed that turtle. Like that. Yeah, right that, at the end. Yeah. 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 Yep. It doesn't upset me as much as Cannibal Holocaust because I, at least in my mind, he is, even if he's not cooking that specific turtle, he's cooking a turtle. Like, he is. Yeah, it's for yeah. food. I like to think that turtle has been cooked, the fact that I had to watch it die. Um, but yeah. it's not as horrific like something like Cannibal Holocaust where you're just like, oh, okay, none of this is necessary. None of this. It would be terrible if the food stylist was like, dear God, there was 600 turtles. <laughs> like, you'd be like, oh, no. 
Oh no! What happened? All these poor turtles. I know that they're oh. very like I know I've had turtle before. It's tasty as all. Oh my god! It's um yeah. So I must have missed that part. I must have turned away and then turned back and went wait. Just yeah, the criteria yeah. of the turtle. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Another thing I forget is in the movie, and then I'm watching it and I go, oh yep okay yeah forgot. I always, I always pictured that little noodle shop for some reason, but me too. Yeah. Like I, my favorite vignette is when the mother is dying in the in the apartment. Her husband yells at, trying to keep her alive, yells at her to go make food for the family. She yeah, yeah, does. Yeah. It's just simple rice noodles. At the end, she collapses dead, and that is like when you want again. I completely forgot about it because I'm always concentrating on Tempopo and that nice noodle shop who I want to succeed. Um, yep. and just watch her make broth and, and, and noodles. And there's, yeah, all these really weird scenes that again, kind of just, um, play with hierarchy in, in Japan. They're doing all these kind of things like whose place and how they redefining it through, through food. And they're all kind of weird and silly and dark, like the whole homeless community who are apparently really good at making food. Like this is where yeah, you go the to foodie the outcasts. Yeah. yeah the foodie like outcasts. A... Yeah. <laughs> the guy makes that beautiful uh, omelet. I forget the name oh, of the dish. Oh, yes. They do the rice and then they do the omelet. That was like a big food porn thing a couple years ago. And they cut it and then it all spills over the top of the rice. They don't usually cover it in ketchup like in this movie. But but yeah, that's uh, that's a beautiful section too. I mean, there's so many little like gems and morsels and delicious things that happen in this movie that are so fascinating that it's amazing to me every time that I'm like somebody mentions it and I just go, yeah, noodle shop. And they're like, uh, there's some other stuff. Here. <laughs> no, there is some other stuff. And I don't know if it needs a warning, but it is a wild, not a wild's not the right word, but it goes into some very undoubted places that you don't expect. You're yes, like, am yeah. I watching a movie or am I watching a sketch show? Doesn't matter. Oh, we're back to, um, Tempopo again, but I love the bit where they're basically because she's going to different places trying out different kinds of ramen to figure out how she wants to make her own ramen. And they go to the noodle place and they've ordered like 16 servings of of noodles, like the masters there and uh Goru and Gun and, and Tempopo. Yep. And you have the old guy who's um who's my whose nurse is saying, Okay, he can't have the duck, he can't have the compote, he just needs straight broth and noodles. He he's gonna have a heart attack. What so what yeah. does he get? He gets the duck he gets the everything he's not meant to have but you see him competing with Tempopo and their crew like how can you can you eat the noodles as quickly as each other and they keep looking at yeah. each other it's it's adorable <laughs> and then he has a heart attack but he lives and then the nurse comes back and goes oh you had the duck again didn't you or something yeah like yeah he almost dies it's it's pretty great uh and right after that too is the where we first see her in her her chef coat yes and it's so gore like she just looks amazing i just i love that that sequence uh and then the lady obsessed with squeezing produce <gasps> oh, i almost <laughs> forgot about her oh my god and then the yeah i would be so that shopkeeper just falling around going what are you doing yeah, i'm gonna catch you in the act <laughs> what that's her kink that's the thing she's into is like the squeezing of the produce it's everyone has their different connections to food i guess <laughs> This is what this movie is. Everyone has a different connection to food and it's not just one thing. It can be the fact that you have to cook family for your food for your family. It can be you have a weird sex thing with um young um oyster or mussel um catches, like the whole thing. Um you can 
be running a um, a ramen store. So it's the connection to the different elements and to the food. You can just be a simple trucker who just wants a simple meal before they move on to their next next stop. Um, or you can be a businessman trying to show off and yet not show off. Um, yeah, there's all these kind of elements and it's your personal connection to the food. And it's just about food more than anything else than rather society's expectations of what food is almost i don't know it's it doesn't feel transgressive but it feels like um he's playing this movie's playing with those elements yeah no i agree i i do think that's a great word for what he's doing in this film because it there is a playful nature to it it doesn't feel like heavy-handed in its in its concepts and the uh i mean just the way the movie ends is like, oh, it's just breastfeeding, and we're just gonna zoom in closer, yeah. closer and closer and closer, and it's just like, I mean, I don't know. You feel, I feel the intent and the effort in the film, and it feels like fun and playful, even when it gets strange. It doesn't feel like it's ever pushing you away. It no. feels like always pulling you in, and I think that's why people like connect to it because otherwise, a movie with like breastfeeding and like you know kinky food eating and stuff but also this like heartfelt noodle shop somebody's gonna bounce off this thing and i have yeah. yet to a person who is like nope not for me every every person i met that's watched tom popo is like amazing movie and you're like yeah it is it, it really is and you when you sort of say those individual elements like yeah there's a turtle murdered murdered on screen there is and yes by the way i would totally eat turtle so it's not like i'm being above above that at right. all but you do see yeah it, it happens um the fact that you have weird sex play with food you have um uh, this kind of weird mighty python-esque noodle eating scene with um with with food and then you end with a baby breastfeeding it's because weirdly breastfeeding is such a taboo thing even to put on screen yeah, and even though it is the most natural thing in the world yeah. and it is just a mother feeding her child and yep. for some reason that is, oh, no, we can't show that. And that's how the movie ends. Food is completely natural and it should be enjoyed however you choose to enjoy it. Um, and that is what I think the movie is saying overall. It's like this, that's why I think the movie doesn't bump off people. It's because it's ultimately it's just about enjoying life, which is little forest. I mean, it's about finding your pocket where you can enjoy life and how you enjoy life. But it's all about, just enjoying the moment um which i think movies are really grateful this is why i go to the cinema it's because i can be in the moment and i'm not on my phone i'm not doing thinking about anything else i'm just focusing on what's in front of me on the on the screen it's dark so it's i'm just even if it's going to be fast x whether it's going to be a really um like something like polite society which by the way spoilers probably will end up on my top 10 of of the year because that movie needs to be watched more um something like that it is um yeah whether it's big boss i'm just that's what i do that's the moment and this movie saying oh you can do that with food even though people forget about it because it's so everyday but everyone has that personal connection to it and i love tempo's journey of finding that pride and that connection to the food that she's doing i mean the whole sequence where she can't do the broth it's yeah. kind of heartbreaking because it's broth seems simple, but it's not because you said it has to have those layers of flavor. It's like the chicken or the miso or the fish. It's 
it takes building. a long process. It should be broke. It's just elements being broken down into a broth. It's not just a broth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's this movie too. It's all these different elements that like yeah. come together to make this thing that's uh, so like a bowl of ramen, and it all comes together, yeah, and it's like fantastic. Yeah. Um, we skipped over one thing that I completely forgot about, which is one of my other favorite scenes, and that's when the gangster, the man in white, gets shot. Yes. Um, it delivers this story about um, wild boars and yams. And it's this kind of disturbing, yet for some reason beautiful story at about tasting the yam in the wild boar. And the wild boar is only fed off these yams. And he's dying in this whole sequence. And it sounds ridiculous, but yet it works. And I, it's like one of those things where I'm like, see, this is this like ethereal thing that exists in cooking also exists in movies where it's like i can see someone doing something and the end result is something where i'm like but you but what was the magic trick between point a and point b because why is this why does this work so well i don't yeah. know but I, the movie sounds when you're describing it sounds like a mess like yes. it doesn't sound cohesive but when you watch it it absolutely is they know when to bring in the main characters into a skit they know when to leave them alone they know when to um yeah, it's it's really well constructed. So even though when you're sort of talking about it, it sounds like an absolute mess of a movie, yeah. kind of like The Meaning of Life, which even though I like, it, I know it's a mess of a movie, even a skit, sketch movie. But Tempopo is smartly constructed. It knows what it's doing. It works. Even when the food doesn't look flashy, you kind of want to eat it when they've been putting the ketchup on that amazing omelet. I'm like, I would still eat it with the ketchup. Actually, yeah, actually, I'm a New Zealander. I would definitely eat it with a ketchup, but yeah. it is <laughs> don't ask a New Zealand ketchup weird thing. Um, it's yeah, it is this kind of thing about home and connection. It's about home and connection as well. I love when they're at the when after um, Guru ha Guru has been beaten up by the five guys, they're having all having breakfast the next morning, and she's cooking, and you can tell she's making good food, but she's doing it because she's trying to feed her son who's got to go to school. And these two strangers who happen to be on her doorstep, um, yeah. it won't tell her whether the, if the ramen is good or not. It is, um, and the son's copying him because he's wearing the hat. And it's all about, yeah, food is a ritual that we shouldn't take for granted because it is not only keeps us alive, but it's also a, something pleasurable, mm -hmm. even if you're getting sexy with it. <laughs> Which I don't want squids writhing on my stomach. That no. <laughs> No, thank you. I'm actually yeah. going to pass on most of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yolk from mouth to mouth does not, actually does not sound pleasant at all. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, yeah. If someone's like, are you, do you, are you into eggs? I'd be like, clarify into like, because <laughs> yes. no, not that much. No, thank you. No, no. I like them scrambled. I like them boiled, but uh, that's it. <laughs> okay. What if they squirt ketchup in their mouth and then do the egg yolk? Are you in then or? <laughs> Nope. Okay. Still out. Had to check. No, it's all too messy. It's way too messy. <laughs> oh, but yeah, brave actors though. I mean, cause they do that yoke thing for a long time and she has to look like she's real excited about the whole thing. And I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not buying it. it. There had yeah. to be like multiple times, you know, multiple yeah. takes. The yoke would break or something, but I don't know. Yeah. It's I was going, how is the yoke not breaking? Like, this is insane. <laughs> Yep. I mean, a mouth-warmed egg yolk? Ugh, uh, 
sick. I mean, someone who I'm in love and intimate with, I don't want to do that with, let alone my acting partner. Like there's something, yeah, yeah there's something I, I can't, I can't do. No, I always think of uh, nightmare food situations on sets, like the the thing in nine and a half weeks that Mickey Rourke like would take a bite of a raw onion before the kissing scenes because he hated his co-star so much. And I was just like, what an awful thing to do to somebody. That's just yeah. like, uh. why, why do that? And considering what they're also having to do with food in nine and a half weeks, yeah. it just sounds yeah. just so messy. I just like, oh, you just be covered in different kinds of stickiness and slime. And then you have to kiss freaking what's his name with a bad lights. onion breath. Uh, so yeah, going back to Little Forest, because um, everyone's eating in both these movies, but in yeah. Little Forest, um, Kim Tyree is really eating in every scene, um, and she's you see her swallowing. This isn't like, like you get the sense in Tempopo there it's sometimes able buckets. the yeah. spit buckets. Little Forest, yeah. not that many spit buckets. Like she's having to actually you see her swallow quite a bit, um, so yeah. she's having to eat a lot during yeah. during that it yeah. Because that movie shows the moment after, and a lot of like yeah, in camera, there's no cuts. Yeah, Tim yeah. has a few cuts. You can tell there's a few spit yeah. buckets, except when they're eating the noodles. I noticed. Yeah, that. there's a few scenes where you see them absolutely consuming, but you've also got the feeling, oh, that's an empty bowl. Like they're not making right. them slurp, you know, five takes with with uh, with with um broth. <laughs> I mean, the sodium alone would kill them by the time exactly. Could... Yes. <laughs> They'd be like, water, please. I've had 60 ounces of broth. Um, I need water, please. Yeah. But yeah, in Little Forest, there's, they're, they're showing the moment where she's satiated or she feeds, feels the, 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 food, nourishment, the, the food. nourishment in yeah. her. Yeah. Without that moment, you know, it would lose something. So she's she has to eat. I mean, that would be an interesting part to have um, follow up on. It's just to be like, what was that process like for you? And and maybe she'd be like, it was the best. But yeah, I, I got know. to eat amazing food. Um, but at the same time, because you talk about when people talk about because when you're watching food on screen, they're either playing it around with their spoon, taking maybe one bite, because yeah. which infuriates me still, but I understand that you're doing multiple takes of something and you just cannot keep yeah. eating. Um, but then you've got a scene like uh oh, what's the scene? Uh, I think it's a David Lowry movie Ghost when you have one of the Mora sisters um, sitting down and just eating a pie on the oh, floor. Oh, yeah. Which is an amazing scene because, again, you're seeing her swallow. You're actually watching her consume a pie. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I get that. I get you. It's the same with polite society when you see this character eating like a chicken. And I'm like, this movie gets me. Um, she's depressed and she's eating a peeking chicken. I'm like, oh, I, this movie is for me. Um, There's a part in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 where – they're all eating pizza at a table. Yeah. It was where I was like, ah, she's really eating that pizza. And I'm like, how many? But then I was thinking, cold pizza's great. I can Warm eat that. Fine. Hot pizza's good. Pizza's probably one of the better foods to have a, to, to eat. eat in a food. But yeah, even though I was always frustrated as a kid, like, why are you eating that? I understand that you can only eat so much during. Oh, I know what I hate more than anything in most shows is an empty cup. Oh, I'm like, yes. Liquid in the cup. We can tell by how people move cups that there's nothing in that cup. And like, yeah. I don't do it as much now, but I, my wife would just always hear me be like, fake drinking. <laughs> She'd be yeah, like, fake drinking. It pulls me out of the movie instantly. It's such a dumb thing, but my brain just like latches onto it. And it's like, because it also they don't 
take the drink right. It's just so obvious that I'm like, just put some water. It doesn't have to be whatever. Just You don't have to completely put it in your mouth, but at least have something weighing the cup down. I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but in Little Forest, she's eating everything on screen. And Topopo has a mixture of both. Like, you can't drink that much broth. It's, as you said, it will just kill you. Um, yeah. That much noodles. Like, you need to sort of calm your load. But there are moments... Um, so it's more about the preparation of the food than the actual consuming of the food, which I felt was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. more about the ritual of actually making, uh, making food um, and or doing other things with, with food, not necessarily the consumption of it um, with this little forest is absolutely about the consumption. But yeah, that scene when they're all in the noodles with the old man that you can tell they are chowing down on quite a bit of noodles. And I'd be like, yeah, I think I'd be okay with eating that much noodles of, of different takes. I think I would be fine with that. <laughs> Yeah, I would be down 100%. Like, if of all the foods, I mean, I don't... Pizza I would be okay don't... with as well. But, yeah, noodles and but pizza, I... I think I'd be fine with. So so say you get the job, you're the, you're the actor in Little Forest, it gets to the egg sa sandwich scene, I'd be like, can I get a stunt double or something? Can like, I get a spit it... bucket? Do we really yeah, need to see me swallow this? <laughs> this all over the place it's hmm. just not a, it's a texture thing it's a smell thing it's not for me is there another food item that you would be like i don't know if i can do this um probably something like really exotic like um sea urchin like again oh. yeah if i eat to eat sea urchin i don't know if i could do it like it's such a snotty salty yeah. it, like uh, salt like, water texture that um everything else that's I'd, our, yeah i'd that's be like favorite food Uni, I, yeah like everywhere we go like we went um we were in oh god where were we la no san diego yes and we had found a restaurant that we thought was like a farm to table steakhouse and mm. then we showed up and it was like the douchiest like place ever and the bartender was a total ass to us and mm. we were like i hate this i don't want to pay 300 at this place so mm. she got us a reservation at nobu around the corner and so we went there and had like like basically live sea urchin prepared like you know and it doesn't have the price or anything because it's like super expensive yeah and uh and we ate it we that's you know was like part of our dinner was eating this <laughs> This was at a, yeah, I, yeah, I was not at Nobu. This was just like a really normal oh, yeah. uh, Japanese train thing. It's like cat food texture, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cat food texture. I don't like it. It's got like, it's more the texture than the taste, I will say. Sure. Um, it's like, it's I'm not, yeah, sure. yeah, because my, my partner loves ox tongue. I don't like ox tongue. Oh, I've like, never even had ox tongue. The texture is not great my partner loves it so every time he sees ox tongue on the menu he's like yeah give me i have memories of when my mother used to work in, as a butcher so she used to bring home quite a bit of tongue because it was like the one the meat that was always left left yeah. over like because no one wanted the tongue um and she didn't she could have taken the offal but for some reason she had a weird childhood thing about offal so which i probably would have been fine with but when we had to have tongue i was like nope nope don't like it um Dang. I think you told me about Dan getting like an ox tongue taco or something once. I think. Yes, before. you can still get one at Mama Cita in Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> it tastes the taste is actually pretty good, but he will get an ox tongue taco, and I'm just like, you ain't that ox tongue taco. 
And at the moment, he has a new job where he'll go assess different chefs. So he's going into a whole bunch of different restaurants. And apparently, we are going to the Argentinian place because they do ox tongue skewers. I'm like, oh, of course, it's the goddamn oh, ox tongue. No. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. Um, though I did go to the, the sister restaurant of this particular place, and it's the first time I had sweet breads, and I was like not angry at it. So, um, were they, were they fried? Yeah, they were fried. Yeah, we did. We, um, one of our friends, Gregory here, Gregory Gordet is a chef here in Portland. And, um, he used to do this thing called Chef's Week where he would organize like 21 chefs would show up and they'd perform different dinners at different restaurants. And then one of the, one of the nights, they each do a, a course. So it's mm. like a 20 tasting menu thing. Um, we did one that was only five. And one of the courses, um, the chef did, uh, fried sweetbreads, but I didn't know what a sweet bread was. So I just thought it was a fried bread. Oh, and so yeah. Like this little stick. It looked like kind of, you know, I bit into it and I was like, okay, that's weird bread. I don't know. And then like later that night was like, oh, I ate brains. Is that what that was? <laughs> like, a sheep glands. Yeah. I think a sheep glands. Yeah. Like a yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, that's the best way for me to, as a texture person to enjoy something is not necessarily knowing it's what it was. definitely got a texture to it. It's We had it fried as well. It was actually um, very tasty. I would have sweet bread again. Um, but yeah, I, just, I love Argentinian barbecue, by the way. There's, there's one, actually there's two now, two restaurants, which I would, if you're in Melbourne and you want really good Argentine, they import it in the actual grill of that you make Argentinian thing on because you couldn't find it in melbourne so um it's very very good very it's got a little bit pricey uh because i had to pay for the importation of the thing but it's definitely worth it and very good sweet bread um so you know i can be i can be adventurous but yeah for some reason that's the sea, sea urchin i don't know if it was just bad sea urchin but i just went i think dance on my face and went oh you don't like that do you i'm like <laughs> i have to swallow it and i'm like it's like you have to see it's like you have to swallow it i'm like mm, okay yeah. Um, yeah, the one time I, I haven't, yeah, the one time I have enjoyed tongue was in Japan. Uh, we got taken, we're on the East coast somewhere heading up North and, um, a friend of my partners took us to this place. And of course they ordered the tongue that was actually really tasty. So the, what they must've done to it, the texture didn't bother me on that one. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a chef here, um, Ryan Roadhouse, and he has a pop, what's well, a pop-up now. I, maybe it found a home again, but it's called uh, Notaguro. And he's one of those people that's like no ego, but is like incredibly talented. And oh, it's very like, cool. And you'll just be like, oh, this is amazing. Like this raw fish. And he's like, oh, it's not raw. Like I, I like did this wash on it and then like air dried it for a little bit of time just to tighten up the flesh a little bit. And then, you know, did it. But it's like these subtle moves that like maybe a chef would know, like another chef, but like anyone else would just be like, oh, it's like sushi grade fish and he's like well i've actually done all these crazy things to it that you wouldn't know but just to make the product like even nicer and it's those kind of things where i just go i don't i don't understand and it has some of his places i've eaten things whereas like i mean he's facing you so it's not mm. like you could like scoot it under the napkin or throw it in the plant or something so like baby eels i think we ate one time oh i love eel i love eel yeah fish liver a monkfish liver was like mm. on some sort of sushi preparation and normally i would be like absolutely not but like i was like well here we go and then you realize like okay there's things i can appreciate about this i wouldn't have ever ordered it but i'm i'm thankful to have had the experience just like escargot i had yes, escargot yeah. one time and my brain was constantly trying to tell me what it was going to be and the texture was completely not what i thought it was going to be it's like um like plus with all the 
garlic and butter. You don't actually, yes. yeah, it's, um, yeah, I've only had it the once, but I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to having it again. But I just remember, yeah, your brain's trying to tell you, oh, it's going to be this. And it's not that because it's prepared in a very specific way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had it two times. The first time it was like the texture of like basically like butter. Like you just couldn't mm. really just. And then the second time it had a texture that was more like like a like a thick mushroom or a light meat. Um, but of course, the sauces is doing all the flavoring and everything. So it was really great. But it was fun to have my um, then eight year old daughter try one. Be like, here you go. This is a snail. And she's like, OK, because she's down for everything, which is crazy. But then. She ate it. And she was like, no, I don't like this. And then she went back to eating. Um, she's very into fish eggs, like cured fish eggs. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> so she's just like eating all of those, all the caviar off of a dish. Oh, <laughs> it's so like, good oh. not to have a fussy kid. Um, yeah. I just remember when, when you were a kid, do you, what was the memory of you having something that was out of the ordinary, that you were taking to a restaurant or you were um, oh. kind of you tried something like sushi or um, and this guy go for the first, something like that, that was just typically a kid who, who doesn't have like, um, very foodie parents. Like, yeah, I was such a texture kid and such a smell. And like, I, I wasn't so bad that like, I only ate SpaghettiOs or something, but like, I would very much knew the things I would eat and what I didn't. And we even went to like a Mexican restaurant and I got mac and cheese there. Like, yeah. that's how much I was like, I don't understand this. I don't want it. I would only get wonton soup at the Chinese food restaurant. I didn't really try a lot of stuff. I didn't even try a bell pepper until I was like 17 years old. <laughs> um, so yeah, I it wasn't a lot. My favorite story of trying something was I went to my uh, drama teacher in high school's house for dinner and his wife was from Nepal and she was making some type of dish where uh, with every dish you have like this hot pepper on the side that's been roasted and you cut little bits and that's kind of how you season your meal as you eat mm. the the grains and the meats and stuff or the uh, i don't know if there was meat but anyway um stewed stuff and i saw this green thing on the plate and was like okay the only way i'm gonna get through this meal is if i just take the vegetable eat it really quick and then move on so i grabbed that whole hot roasted pepper and just ate the whole thing like first bite of the meal and mm. he like his eyes got super wide she looked horrified because mm. it just looked like a complete psycho move to like first bite of the meals like grab the hot thing and just like yes. chuck it in my mouth and i was on fire i was like chugging water they erupted in laughter when they realized that i had no idea what i was doing and uh and so that's like my one of my favorite stories about trying something is because i just had no clue and i just was such an idiot uh, my mother did that with wasabi she didn't realize what it was and just put it in her <laughs> mouth and then same thing happened like she was just like gagging she was just like oh my god what have i done um <laughs> no i remember going on the school trip down to wellington new zealand and had sushi for the first time and I, as i said i was a fussy teenager and eating raw salmon for the first time was kind of like oh shit this is oh cool it was kind of like oh actually there's more out there than Mm -hmm. my weird mince thing or pizza or um like a sandwich or something there was other things out there and then when I finally moved away from home started eating more food and then realizing you know what this whole food thing's really good I should be I should eat more <laughs> the the moving away from home thing is is huge for me so I had my first apartment I was 17 and I was working at this independent record store and across the street was a pizza place. And so like, I'm making my own money. I got my own spot. Like, I'm like, I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm like a grown up. 
clearly was not, but I was like, okay. You think you are yeah. when you're 17 and you, especially when yeah. you're earning money. Yeah. We went across the street and I was like, I'm going to buy a pizza for lunch. And so I got this, like, I think it was probably a 10 inch pizza, but it was a four cheese pizza. And so it had cheeses on there that I had not had yet. Yeah. And, um, I bit into this thing and it was like a rev, like just revelatory. I was just yeah. like, this isn't pizza. What is happening? What are these flavors? this four cheese combination I'd never had before. And it left like an imprint. Like to this day, I still remember sitting there and being like, I'm doing all right, eating mm. this fancy pizza. And like, I don't know. It's just one of those things like, and I, I wouldn't get it all the time, but whenever I did, I just felt like super grown up. Same thing was there was a, a spot right around the corner from that independent record store that was a, a bar, but I could go in and order food in the day. And so I would get a, a blackened chicken Caesar salad. It was the first time I ever had blackened seasoning on anything. Oh, yeah. That exists there. But um, but yeah, that was like another thing where it was like the creaminess of the dressing and then the spiciness of the seasoning. And I was just like, look at me. Look at that. <laughs> making all the right choices over no, here. No, I, I remember being making a comment to some new friends who I just met when I was first moved away from home and say, I've never had a curry. And they're like, what do you mean you've never had a curry? Like, that's not a possible thing. So I remember going out, having like a really proper, your first adult out, we were 18. So it wasn't like that, but you're feeling like you're having your first proper adult out dinner party at a restaurant. You're ordering wine. Um, Cause in New Zealand, 18 was the legal limit to be able to drink. Um, and having like, it was just a bite of chicken. So it wasn't like I was having proper Indian. I was having British Indian. Yeah. <laughs> but just that combination of, you know, buying a bottle to share and having, a curry and then talking with your friends while drinking wine, I was realized that was kind of the, again, like you, you're moving out of home. You think mm -hmm. you're an adult and you're like, yeah, I think I'm doing okay. I, I'm making friends. I'm having this amazing conversation. We're going to, you know, go and get a movie after this. It's, it's, everything's good. And, and I, I do understand that feeling. Mine, mine was a butter chicken. Yours was a four cheese pizza. <laughs> yeah. I did have though a first time meeting friends out at a restaurant. Um, yeah wasn't just like fast casual and yeah. it was a Thai restaurant and we got it was this big tin like looked like tin um tall thing that had the soup in it and it was with Tom Ka or whichever one is the um like coconut broth oh yes there. yes yeah I can't remember what it's and called it, but I know which one yeah yeah and it's lemongrass and whatever and there's chicken in there and they just set it on the table it's just boiling away and you would take a ladle and just fill a little bowl mm. There was four of us, and I was just like thinking, like, this has got to be the fanciest my life will ever get is this communal soup thing that's going on here. And it was the first time I'd ever had that, probably had coconut milk to my knowledge. Like, yeah. it was just lemongrass for sure. And it was just like, uh, I was like, wow, this, there's the possibilities are endless. Like, you know. Now it's just like, oh, yeah, put, I'm making a thing, put lemon, lemon, paste, uh, lemon ginger paste, or use ginger for yeah. this, or. It's a bit more old hat now. Like to impress me, you just, I, it, there was this restaurant we used to go to. It didn't survive COVID, unfortunately. It was a Spanish place, a Yemen place. And they did, um, no, it wasn't anchovies. It was sardines on this goat's cheese with um, a honey on top. Yeah. Oh my God, it was yeah. delicious. Like yeah. even we'd bring friends there like, oh, you got to have the sardines. I'm like, I'm not eating sardines. I'm like, trust me. Don't worry, put honey on it. Put honey in with goat's cheese. It, it will change your life. Uh, that that kind of thing. It has to be something simple, but something kind of magical for me to go, oh, my God. Oh, my God, now. Yeah, just because there's still things I need to try, but 
a lot of it, um, I'm kind of used to the setting a bit more. Unlike when I was young, and I'm like, I'm sitting at a restaurant with a, sharing a bottle of wine with friends. I'm aren't I fancy? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. It's just like, and you know, it's like we said at the beginning. It's just such a fun way to be um, learning and educating yourselves about other cultures. Is like yeah. through food. It's like a way to understand. And like we did. Um, uh, with our business, we in the summer like to do little chef collaborations and things. So we did a gochujang, um, Korean spicy paste with our friend Han that I mentioned from Kim Jong Grillin, mm. and he was like on the phone with his mom, being like, "Well, when you make yours, like, what do you do?" And da 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 da. And, and we used uh, rice flour, so it was like uh, gluten free, and uh, you make it in a this metal. I mean, this not metal. This black pot looks like a cauldron, and it's this thick paste and then it has to ferment for 90 days so we would have to go and stir it and you keep it in a warm place and every day you kind of like stir it mm. and then set it up and we went on vacation we took it with us we strapped it in a seat belt and you know we're not supposed to do that so i hope mm. fda is not listening but um so we made this thing and then uh chefs were super stoked because they had a gochujang that didn't have a bunch of weird preservatives or dyes or anything weird like mm. that so they could use it in their like you know high end restaurants pop ups and things, but that's the only people that really understood it. So then we had to take that and then make a sauce out of it. And once it was in a sauce form, then people were like, "Oh, I could put this on chicken or do whatever with it," and then they totally get it. But for us, it was being in the kitchen with Han and him being on the phone with his mom, being like, you know, having son mom conversations. You know how we all talk with our parents. Yeah, and then him being like, "Okay, it's kind of like this," and that kind of. Uh, window into a person's life and their family and the culture that they make food from was like just invaluable and it's something that like i'm so thankful for that experience or like going to these pop-up dinners and seeing what these chefs are doing um each little bit is another like little morsel or bite to like be like okay yeah there's a huge breadth to korean food to japanese food but like every time you get a different dish you're like coloring in the picture a little bit more and being like, okay, I, I see what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, if it wasn't for movies and books, kind of like Little Forest and Tempopo when I read when I was young, I don't know if I would have wanted to travel as much as I did when I was a kid. Mm. I've stories from my dad helped who had traveled, who has traveled extensively in his life. Um, so he would tell me stories about Japan and, and Germany and, and America and all these kind of, um, in China and all these sort of places in South America. Um, but if I didn't read as much, if I didn't read authors who were from other countries um, and had different experiences and had different food, like the first time I read um, Haruka Murakami um, yeah. was amazing because there's something about Japanese and the way they deal with food and write about food. And it's not just Murakami. Um, he was just my first Japanese author. Um, like there's this, yeah, yeah, because he's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, that's so cool. Uh, there's this, I can't remember the author's name, but there's a new book called In the Void. It's about this woman who fakes a pregnancy so she can literally just get out of work. Like she's just sick of the gr office grind. But a lot of it is her preparing vegetables, shopping for vegetables, all this kind of thing. And it's really calming. Like I have a really sort of calm time with it. And I felt that with Little Forest and also Tempopo yeah. because you're just watching. I mean, with Tempopo, it's a little bit more action packed because it's like a, it was we've mentioned like Rocky. She has to get it under done thirty seconds. She's constantly training like she's an athlete. I mean, she has to take all this very very seriously. But when you're just and everything's kind of quirky and weird, but when you're watching watching people eat, it's still kind of that same feeling of calmness because food is a shareable experience. But it's also when done well, food keeps you in the moment. Like it's because mm -hmm. it's the taste 
that oh whether they remind you of home whether there's something new to discover or whether you're just so hungry that you just need something and when it's you take the time to actually make something or get something that's going to have a lot of flavor you're just not shoveling something in your mouth so you don't yell at anyone before you can finish work is i understand that i'll very well um <laughs> so it's it's all that kind of thing but i think those movies have all the experience that both these movies share the experience of what it is to make food for yourself and to make food for other people and mm -hmm. the ritualness of that and it's movies like that that i think are so important to people to watch because they are understanding different cultures and they are understanding um how this since cooking is so is such an intimate thing even when it's being shared you understand like movies are little empathy machines you see how other people live and i think these what these two movies do really well like that's the best of i mean Tempopo is just great on so many levels because it's doing so much you can take little bits and pieces away from everything it's doing where there's little forest is a little bit more single-minded still amazing i still want to eat a tomato like an apple now like i just want a freshly grown tomato that i can just yeah. chow on um and but yeah they're doing these kind of things and that's the kind of stories that made me want to travel in the first place it was mm -hmm. watching tempopo it was reading haruka murakami and then going oh i want to go to japan and look down a well like and eat like sushi or yeah. noodles especially in um oh what's the the one oh i can't remember the beatles one norwegian wood where the character's just constantly eating cheap ramen but the way that he writes about it it sounds like it's amazing like it's box ramen um yeah, yeah it's food is important and it's important to each culture and each culture has its own traditions so to be able to eat it and then all watch it being done is an amazing experience and i love this double so much yeah no i totally agree and since we mentioned ponyo we might as well mention also uh spirited away which has yes. sequence in the beginning where the parents turn into the pigs um food <laughs> looks great i might give it a try um all of miyazaki's food looks amazing like yeah. i would eat all of it yeah even the face except when the faceless guy's like guzzling like a pile of food that's a little different but yeah, no face. Yeah, no face. But um, yeah, thank you uh so much for for bringing me back for for this double. It's been absolutely just what I thought it would be talking about these awesome films and food. So I appreciate it. No, thank you. Like these movies, we ran into a whole bunch of untiny quarters, and I maybe shared a bit too much about my upbringing with food. But <laughs> besides the point, um, it is always a blast to talk. I love hanging out and these movies were absolutely great. And I am forever going to thank you for introducing me to Little Forest. That movie is something special. And look, it's on Tubi. And so hopefully it's on Tubi everywhere. So it's easy to get. Go watch it. Uh, it's incredible. And also Tempopo, if you haven't seen that, because that's just pure joy. Like that is, again, one of the greatest food movies ever made. Um, so thank you so, so much. Before we go, please, Dirk, tell people where they can find your good work. Oh, yeah. So uh, VHUS underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, VH-US.com is our website. If you would like to read more about the episodes, that's all on there. Uh, we have a Threadless shop. If you just go to Threadless and look up VHS podcast, you'll find we have artwork originally created for every episode by Celine Cordero. Um, you can get it on anything from T-shirts to mugs to, I think, stickers and things. I think mugs. Anyway, um, also, if you want to support the show, we're on Patreon, VHUS uh, podcast. 
I've been using it for actually just writing little bits. So uh, the last thing I did was I think about, I've been looking at movies where there's like four or more of things. So I think it was about Pumpkinhead. So if you're interested in the four Pumpkinhead movies. Right, this whole pumpkin. Oh, shit. I didn't realize. I thought there was only two. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There it is. Uh, I, the way my brain works, I find out things exist and I have to track them down, own them and watch them. And so that's what I'm doing there. I'm not I'm on Letterboxd, but I haven't been on in over a year. So obviously I don't use that platform. You can find me on there, but I wouldn't. Uh, I'm going to cancel it at some point. So if you want to hear my thoughts on movies outside of the podcast, the Patreon's the only place to do that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much everywhere, except for when uh, wonderful podcasters like yourself have me on Schlock and Awe. So thanks again for having me back. No, thank you for coming on. And thank you for suggesting the, these movies because it was just a joy to watch. And, and as I said, I had a massive sandwich for lunch and i'm just like oh could go for some ramen um no thank you thank you for listening to shock and awe uh we're on all the pods you can find us on shock and awe one um and you can find me on reading geek on twitter and also reading geek on letterbox which i still use because i still have this weird thing if i watch it and don't record it did i actually watch it kind of <laughs> crisis at the moment so i can't stop so i'm still there but yeah that's where you can find me and thank you um and yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.